Hi, and welcome to Paletta Doxy. I'm your host, Aaron Friedman. Today, I will be doing a reaction video to the GOP primary debate. This is the third one I haven't done on the previous two, but this one I will start doing uh, these kinds of things whenever there are debates and so on and so forth. Maybe I'll do the same for the Democrats. I'll give my commentary explaining things and telling exactly uh, who is and who is not more or less conservative, who is saying good stuff, who is saying bad stuff, seeing who has the better point of view on politics. So without further ado, let's start this. Tonight, a critical test in the race for the White House. Five Republicans battling to become their party's 2024 presidential nominee. The candidates ready to make their case on why they're prepared to be commander-in-chief amid two wars on the world stage. How they plan to tackle stubborn inflation and how they can unite a deeply divided electorate. Who is best to take on President Biden? And can any of them first beat former President Trump, who's far ahead in the polls? Spoiler alert, no. The candidates are here. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, and South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. From NBC News, the Republican presidential debate. Live from the Adrian Arst Center in Miami, Florida. Before we continue, I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm actually going to speed this up only to 125 because any of you who want to watch it, you can watch it by yourself. But I want to get through this as fast as possible and conveniently. So this is what I'm going to do. Hey, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Republican presidential debate. I'm Lester Holt, anchor of NBC Nightly News. Good evening. I'm Kristen Welker, moderator of NBC's Meet the Press. Well, I'm Hugh Hewitt, host of Salem Radio's The Hugh Hewitt Show. We are now just 68 days from the Iowa caucuses when Republican primary voters will begin to determine their party's nominee for president. Tonight, we'll question five candidates seeking that nomination on how they're best prepared to be commander in chief. And of course, how best to bring down prices impacting Americans across the country. We have two hours for a serious debate on the issues that matter most to Republican voters. Candidates will have one minute and 30 seconds for answers and the opportunity for a closing statement. Follow-ups will be at the discretion of all of us at the table, the moderators. Invoking a candidate's name or policy does not necessarily mean the mentioned candidate is entitled to a response. We want to caution all the candidates not to interrupt or speak over your fellow debaters. If you talk over each other, the voters can't hear you. And given the critical issues we're facing specifically on the world stage, we want everyone to hear every word you have to say. Continued interruptions may result in loss of additional questions. And to our audience, please, please hold your applause so that the candidates can be heard. With that said, let's have a good debate. All right, our first question, the opening question, is one for all of you. Donald Trump is the first ex-president in more than 100 years to run for the White House again, and he remains popular among Republican primary voters as his legal challenges mount. Governor DeSantis, let me begin with you on this one. Speak to Republican voters who are supporting Donald Trump. Why should you and not him be the Republican nominee to face Joe Biden a year from now? This country is in trouble, and the elites that have put us here 
They don't care about you. They don't care that you're having to grapple with higher grocery prices or have higher gas prices. They don't care that your family's less secure because of the open border that's allowed drugs and even terrorists to come into this country. Well, I care. I am not going to sit idly by and let this country continue its downward spiral. We need leadership and we need it now. I'll take the hits. I'll take the arrows. I'll take the slings because ultimately it's not about me. It's about you. I will fight for you. I will make sure to lead this country's revival, and I will win for you and your family. Actions speak louder than words. We don't have time for excuses, and it's not something that we're going to be able to have all these distractions. As a veteran, I will get the job done. Now, if you look where we are now, it's a lot different than we were in 2016. And Donald Trump's a lot different guy than he was in 2016. He owes it to you to be on this stage and explain why he should get another chance. He should explain why he didn't have Mexico pay for the border wall. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He should explain why he didn't drain the swamp. And he said Republicans were going to get tired of winning. Well, we saw last night, I'm sick of Republicans losing. In Florida, I showed how... No, 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 no. Don't play this game. Don't say that this, whatever happened last night, has anything to do with Donald Trump or that he is responsible. He actually helped out in Kentucky. And the reason why Republicans lost in Kentucky is because Andy Bashir is a very popular governor and he gets this moderate patina, fake patina of moderatism. And the Kentucky electorate, apparently, they love moderatism. So and that's why you have Mitch McConnell and you have a Democrat governor. So he and also he takes a lot from his father. So this is the reason why they elected a Democrat who is very popular. So it I don't I've seen certain people try to blame Donald Trump for this. No, it doesn't. No, you you can't you can't blame him for what happened in Kentucky. And then in Virginia, the same joke goes on Glenn Youngkin. People are, are attacking Glenn Youngkin for what happened in Virginia. It's a Democrat state. Come on. Why are you attacking a good Republican governor uh, on the pro-life issue? Yes, there is certain uh, there are certain things you could argue on the pro-life issue that he should be so-called more moderate. Pro-life is pro-life, but not everywhere in the United States. Everybody has the same opinion and not everywhere there is the same solution to being pro-life. So he should take a, I can't believe I'm saying this, more moderate approach. Life, pro-life is the, should be the pro-moderate approach, but we are not there, especially not in Virginia. So he should try at the very least to if he's going to talk about this, then he should at very least do it more persuasively. But he shouldn't push it too much as far as he did and should give more leeway and do incremental change. But this is the reason why they lost in Kentucky, in Virginia. But again, Virginia is a Democrat state. So losing there, having a good governor such as Glenn Young and attacking him for what happened to Virginia, that's a terrible thing. And it's just counterintuitive for the conservative movement. Let's continue. Oh, it's done. One year ago here, we want a historic victory, including a massive landslide right here in Miami-Dade County. That's how we have to do it. Oh, and one more thing. It's interesting. Why would Ron DeSantis attack Donald Trump for the losses uh, that we had throughout, but not the person who was elected, I think, in 2017, Ronna McDaniel, Romney McDaniel, McDaniel, as a matter of fact. Why isn't he being, why isn't she being attacked? She is the one who's supposed to be funding all these candidates, making sure these candidates are winning. Not Donald Trump. 
Although, of course, he should be a team player and endorse the right candidates and work out throughout the election process. But why is he, why is he getting all the heat and not Ronald McDaniel? So all the people who are attacking Donald Trump and not Ronald McDaniel, they're being disingenuous. If you're attacking both, at the very least, you're trying to be coherent and I can hear you out. If you're going to attack only Donald Trump, then your opinion is not worth that much. You should be attacking at the very least her as well. So I promise you this, as the nominee, next November, I'll Thank get the job me. done. And as president, I will your, deliver. Your time is up. Let me turn to Ambassador Haley. Let me, let me turn to Ambassador Haley. Why you and not the former president? Well, I think you look at the fact that we're almost $34 trillion in debt. 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. 50% of American families can't afford diapers. One in six American families can't pay their utility bills. You have the fact that he used to be right on Ukraine and, and foreign issues. Now he's getting weak in the knees and trying to be friendly again. I think that we've got to go back to the fact that... He used to be right on Ukraine, meaning that he wanted to fund? No, that's when he was wrong on Ukraine. No, 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 no. See, this is the neocon business that we always get. We have to fund every other country in the world. No, we shouldn't be giving a penny to any country in the world. Not, not our allies, not our enemies, and nobody else, nobody in between. It should all go to the United States citizenry. Now, if any individual citizen wants to donate, well, I can't stop them. It's their choice. It's their money. Well, they can do, they can do that. But the money that the United States collects through taxation belongs to the American citizenry. And another thing on the wars, if you can fund two wars, I think you are collecting a bit too much taxes. We can't live in the past. We can't live in other headlines. We've got to start focusing on what's going to make America strong and proud. And that's what I'm focused on doing. Let's make sure we pay down our debt. I think we need an accountant in the White House. Let's make sure that we have transparency in the classroom. As a mom, I know what that means. Let's make sure we secure our borders so that our families are safe. Let's get crime down because our families want to know that they can be safe no matter where they go. And as the wife of a combat veteran, I will tell you, a military needs to know we have our back and we need to make sure that America is Ambassador, thank you very much. Let me just uh, let me just caution the audience. Let's not go down this road. We've asked you to please, you know, keep restraining yourselves. It would be helpful so we can hear the candidates because these are important issues and the voters want and need to hear them. Uh, Mr. Ramaswamy, let me turn to you. Uh, please make your case. Why would you? Uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here, and I am upset about what happened last night. We become a party of losers at the end of the day. It was a cancer in the Republican establishment. And speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC. There you go. There you have it. Finally, I'm actually disappointed in Ron DeSantis and I like him, but I am very disappointed in what he had to say. Why would he attack Donald Trump and not attack Ronna McDaniel? Now, here we have somebody who's actually speaking to the message, getting the point across very, very well. See, in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020. 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there- You know who deserves it, by the way, the post of RNC chair belongs, it should go to Scott Pressler. He's doing all the work that Ron McDaniel should be doing, but he's getting the stuff done. Now he, of course, said that he doesn't want it. He deserves it. I'm just pointing out that he definitely deserves it. If he will ever take it, that's a thing that you'll have to ask him, but he definitely deserves it. They're cheering for losing in the Republican party. 
Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters. I love, I just love what he just said because it's not only insulting to who is hosting this? MSNBC, NBC is hosting this. So I love that he is now insulting them, but he's also correct on the point. It's not just an insult, but it's an indisputable fact that it should be Tucker Carlson and Elon Musk and Joe Rogan. Those guys would have been. With Elon Musk, I'm not sure. I don't think he's actually a good moderator. So I'm not so sure about him. But definitely Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan. Maybe you find a third guy, you'll definitely find some good guys. But point is that he's definitely correct there. And I just love that it is a precise point. And it's not only a precise point, but it's also a roast against the hosts, which they definitely deserve it for being liberal. Actually care about bringing more people into our party. Getting the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Welker here. Do you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Kristen, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you and the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Very good. Push them on it. Answer the question. Go. Mr. Ross. This is how we get our country back. We need accountability because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with a Hunter Biden laptop story. And they're going to rig this election. Your time is up. Let me turn to Governor Governor Christie. Why you? Audience, let's not do this. Let's not do this. Let's let the candidate speak. Yeah, let's not insult uh, the moderators. Governor Christie, why you and not former President Trump? He looks bad. He looks terrible. Oh, no, he always looks terrible. Well, Lester, look, you said it. At the beginning of the debate, we are dealing with extraordinarily important issues facing this country right now. We have our greatest ally in the Middle East under fire from a terrorist group that has committed to wiping them and every Jewish person in this world off the map. Kind of pisses me off every time. Our greatest ally in the Middle East. Why does it always have to be our greatest ally? Why can't we just say our ally in the Middle East? Why does it? What is the emphasis on this? Why does it have to be pointed out this way? Why does that always have to be the same the same cliche over and over again. I, we get it. Israel is our ally. Fine, we get it. We understand. Nobody's disagreeing with that. Why our greatest ally every time over and over again? It's just tiresome. It's become a cliche. It's boring. We have Ukraine with Vladimir Putin, a communist KGB dictator. Um, <laughs> no, he's not communist. He's a dictator, yes, but look up democracy. It's cringe as well dictatorship the russian how many times are gonna have to point this out the russians they want dictatorship it's either the devil you know or the devil you don't know i'm going with putin i'm not i would never want him being elected here in the united states i don't want him to be a ruler here in the united states but for russia he's great for russia he's actually the most pro-us president that russia has had throughout its history the problem is that we have alienated the russians but he tried to play nice with the united states but the United States just alienated him. And you I know some people might say, well, look what is happening right now. Yes, this is from all the alienation, from all the illegal encroachments, from all the attacks against him, blaming him for literally everything that is happening bad in the United States. Russia collusion, ooh, the scary thing didn't happen. So they're attacking him on all these other things. What are you going to do about it? Of course you're going to, you're going to, you're just going to stop cooperating with the United States. So, yeah, go figure. I, I'm wondering why. We blame him for everything. We attack him. I wonder why they're so mad at us. Who wants to put the old band back together? 
He's starting in Ukraine, and he's going to move to the Baltics and pull. <sighs> yeah, he's gonna he's gonna continue on. Why then? Why didn't he start with Poland? Why not start with why Ukraine? Why start with Ukraine? Why not start with Poland? He's gonna he's gonna continue on. He's gonna move. On. Why? Where? What? This is the same stupid cliche again, over and over again. Well, he's gonna continue. No, he's not gonna continue. He wants specifically Ukraine. And by the way, he was he doesn't want Ukraine just so to have it. He wants it under his influence, but we had to influence Ukraine on our side and overthrow their elected governor, their elected president, when they elected a pro-Russian president. We, uh, our State Department, got in there and elected our guys. Why can't Russia have their own influence over Ukraine? Ukraine is not the 51st state of the United States. Let Russia have Ukraine. Poland after that. We have inflation in this country that is choking, choking every American family that wants to try to rise up. And give their children a better life. And oh, they, wait a minute! They want Poland after that. So what? That's NATO's problem. We should get out of NATO. Let NATO take care of it. So what? They want Poland. Okay, fine. So freaking what? Why do I care? We should take care of the United States. They don't want Poland. Maybe in the most technical sense, I guess. When you are a dictator of a country and you want to rule the world, I guess you want every country. Yeah, but it's not gonna gonna happen. It's not a feasible plan. Not for the cost. Not for the military cost, that it's, it's just not worth it. So, I, only the most technical sense of the word they want. Yes, I guess they want it technically, but they're not going to take it. Tonight, we need to decide which president is going to be the one to tackle the big issues. Who's gonna We're going to have the big president here to tackle the big issues. To make this country look once again, not just inward, but look outward at the world. I'd say Ooh, not just inward, but also outward. Yeah, that's not a cliche. America is the country, the indispensable nation that makes this a safer world. And in a safer world, America that's the Iraqis. American innovation, American hard work has always been the thing that has driven our country to greater things. I'm going to be the president who will do those big things. We're not going to be small. And I'll say this about Donald Trump. And We're not going to be small. I guess this could be his new slogan for his campaign. We are not going to be small. Or maybe you should just say, I am not going to be small. Anybody who's going to be spending the next year and a half of their life focusing on keeping themselves out of jail and courtrooms cannot lead this party or this country. Right, it Governor, needs to be said plainly. Governor, thank you. Let me turn to Senator Scott. Senator Scott, you've said former President Trump can't win. Make your case to Republican voters. Well, certainly, none of what I would say without any questions is that the truth of my life destroys the lies of the radical left. We need a president and a candidate who will actually help our base solidify and attract independent voters into our party. The Great Opportunity Party is now winning back African-American voters and Hispanic voters because we are... Yeah, I understand. We are kind of winning African-Americans and Hispanic. But guess freaking what? It doesn't freaking matter because if you lose white people, then you lose. You have to attract more white people because they are a majority of the country. Just electorally speaking, that's what you got to do. It's so why why is everybody always going for the minorities? Nobody is trying to get the white vote. Get every vote you can and try to pander a little bit to the to the majority. What is this? Everybody's so busy with minorities. And it, fine, it's good. Okay, fine. You want to you want to be busy with that? No problem. But also Try to win. Try to get the majority as well. Working on a foundation based on faith, our nation 
is facing some deep challenges. It is a loss of faith in this nation that is part of the erosion that we're seeing every single day. It's restoring faith, restoring our Christian values that will help this nation once again become the city on the hill. When Ronald Reagan talked about the city on the hill. Ronald Reagan, city on the hill. Here we go again. Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan is dead. The 80s are over. Please get over Ronald Reagan. He couldn't be elected nowadays in his home state of California. He's not the end all and be all. What is with these people? Always oh, Ronald Reagan. He was great. Yes. For the time. Yes. We need to move on. I just love these guys. And when I say love, I mean hate, but not really. But anyway, but. These guys continuously talk how we need to move on from Trump, and they are right to one extent or another that Trump is not going to be here all the time, and we need to uh, we need to have a plan for uh, when he's not here. But these same guys are still stuck with Reagan. So how are you going to say that we need to move on from Donald Trump while you're still stuck with Reagan? You know, he was coming from Matthew five when President Lincoln talked about a house divided. That was marked. Our founding documents speak to the importance of the faith foundation. You don't have to be a Christian for America to work for you, but America does not work without a faith-filled Judeo-Christian foundation. I would be the president that helps us restore faith in God, faith in each other, and faith in our future. Without that focus... Now, this is a good stuff, actually. Talking about faith in God, which we do need. We need to pivot to that, to... Uh, and also be effective with that. We can't just, uh, okay, for faith in God. And that, okay, that's it. That's where it ends. We I said the words, so everything is going to work out. No, we actually have to put in the work. But yes, that that is actually good messaging from him. None of the issues, the policies matter. We have to get back to being a nation that is, in fact, the city on the hill that believes in each other enough for us to fight Scott, for that future. You. Senator Scott, thank you. We're going to turn out of the challenges facing... <clears throat> The next commander-in-chief, you'll all be fielding questions first from me and the Republican Jewish Coalition, and then from Kristen and Hugh. So as we continue forward, uh, the Israel-Hamas war is barely a month old. Tonight, Israeli troops are fighting inside Gaza City with over 200 hostages who remain captive there, and civilian casualties mount inside Gaza. Can I please understand why this is the first freaking thing they ask on policy-related issues? No, no, nothing about America. No, let's talk about Israel. Oh, that is very important. Well, it is important to one extent or another. But why is that the first question? We should be talking. The first question should be about the border, the fentanyl that is killing our civilians, and the illegal immigrants attacking. And this is this is crazy. A lot of them are coming from Palestine as well. But they're coming from all over the world. And now we, we have seen the destruction of our great of our society because of people who whose values are incompatible with the united states so we should be talking about that no we need to first talk about israel and i bet you the next question is going to be about ukraine right this is absolutely amazing not the economy okay fine you don't want to talk about the border fine economy healthcare i don't know something else that affects us can we talk about that no Let's talk about Israel. I, I, I guess Israel is the 51st state. As president of the United States, what would you be urging Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to do at this moment? Governor DeSantis. I would be telling Bibi, finish the job once and for all with these butchers, Hamas. They're terrorists. They're massacring innocent people. They would wipe every Jew off the globe if they could. He cannot live 
with that threat right by his country, that Hamas should release every hostage and they should unconditionally surrender. I'm sick of hearing the media. I'm sick of hearing other people blame Israel just for defending itself. We will stand with Israel in word and in deed, in public and in private. And I can tell you, as governor, I actually did something about it. Biden's neglect has been atrocious. Uh, we had Floridians that were over there after the attack. He left them stranded. They couldn't get flights out. So I scrambled resources in Florida. I sent planes over to Israel, and I brought back over 700 people to safety. There could have been more hostages. You see, this is this is Ron DeSantis' strong suit. When he talks about policy and getting stuff done, this is the guy who gets stuff done. You like him or not, he gets stuff done. But his problem is that his messaging is so darn awful, it's laughable. So... The weirdest thing is he can get everything done except messaging. So it's hilarious on that part. But yes, he is. That answer is a pretty good answer. But again, I have to ask the question, why do are we talking about Israel as the first freaking subject? Had we not acted, and I'll tell you this, I met the first plane load uh, when they came to Florida, and one of the mothers pointed to a six-year-old daughter, and she said, my daughter had been saying the last two nights, mommy, I don't want to hear any more bombs, no more rockets, I just want to get back to Florida. So there's a difference between words and deeds, we acted, and we saved lives. Thank you. Ambassador Haley, what would you do, what would you be urging Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to do? Would you consider... Drop the nukes. Humanitarian pause, for example. The first thing I said to him when it happened was I... Drop the nukes. ...said finish them finish them. And the reason is I worked on this every day when I was at the United Nations. And we have to remember that they have to, one, eliminate Hamas, two, support Israel with whatever they need, whenever they need it, and three, make sure we bring our... No, husband. we should not be supporting Israel by giving them free crap. They can buy from us. That's It's mutually beneficial, so no problem with that. We are, uh, as long as we are benefiting, that's not a problem. But no more handouts home. We need to be very clear-eyed to know there would be no Hamas without Iran. There would be no Hezbollah without Iran. There would not be the Houthis without Iran. And there wouldn't be the Iranian militias in Syria and Iraq that are trying to hear, hit our military men and women if it hadn't been for Iran. And who is funding Iran right now? China is buying oil from Iran. Let me just remind you that it is because of you neocons who overthrew Saddam Hussein and Iraq being a counterbalance to Iran that we are in this mess. Let's just let's not even talk about Jimmy Carter handing over Persia to the mullahs. Let's not even talk about that. Just the neocons overthrowing. Oh, he's a dictatorship. Who gives a crap? The Middle East is full of dictatorships. What, what are you even talking about? The world is full of dictatorships. We built dictatorships when we didn't like it. In South America, in, so in South Korea, we had dictatorships. We had dictatorships in South Vietnam and in Taiwan. They were, they were a dictatorship up until 1980. What are you even talking about? Dictatorship. Oh, dictator. It's the magic word. Just say dictatorship and now everybody has to fold their cards because dictatorship, don't you know? Iran. Russia is getting drones and missiles from Iran, and there is an unholy alliance. We need to be clear-eyed. The last thing we need to do is to tell Israel what to do. The only thing we should be doing is supporting them and eliminating Hamas. It is not that Israel needs America. America needs Israel. They are the tip of the spear when it comes. What? Seriously, America needs Israel. Wow, that is one hell of a statement. America needs Israel. That is one hell of a statement. I don't even know how to... What, what should I say? 
Sometimes you come by something so stupid that you're left flabbergasted and you just don't know what to say. Wow. I think I'm just going to leave it at that. I believe that my audience have the IQ and the mental capacity to understand how stupid that is. To this Islamic terrorism, and we need to make sure that we have their backs in that process. All right. Thank you. Mr. Ramaswamy. Mr. Ramaswamy, any daylight between you and the candidates we just heard on this issue on what you would tell the prime minister? Not in terms of what I would tell the prime minister, no. In fact, I would go one step further. The founding vision of Israel was based on the idea that they don't want to depend on anybody else's sympathy or direction in defending themselves. So what I would tell Bibi is that Israel has the right and the responsibility to defend itself. I would tell him to smoke those terrorists on his southern border, and then I'll tell him as president of the United States, I'll be smoking the terrorists on our southern border. That's his responsibility. There we go. Now, you see, I just love what he just did there. So he's talking about, okay, I'm going to answer the question, and now I'm going to turn it around and talk about what is affecting us here in the United States. Now, I love that. Turning around the question and now talking about something that affects us. This is what we need. We need... Uh, this kind of reminds me, but and this is so coincidental because this also uh, talking about the border. This reminds me of when Ann Coulter, I think it was 2013, she spoke at CPAC, and they told her that she's not allowed to talk about the border. And she said, "Okay, fine, I will not talk about the border." And she, and they told her that she has to have some liberal with her as a, as they're talking about the issues. So she said, "Okay, fine." Um, she chose Mickey Kaus, and they both decided, and Mickey Kaus, is as a liberal, he's pretty good on the border. So they decided both on immigration as well. So they both decided that they were going to change every conversation, every question that they ask. They're going to pivot towards the immigration system and the southern border. And it was absolutely beautiful. Every single question the moderator asked they from either of them, they both like answer the question halfway through they went to the southern border it was so beautiful and so amazing i just love that part so this kind of reminds me of that let's continue this is our responsibility that's how we move forward but i want to be careful to avoid making the mistakes from the neocon establishment of the past corrupt politicians in both parties spent trillions killed millions made billions for themselves in places like iraq and afghanistan fighting wars that sent Thousands of our sons and daughters, people my age, to die in wars that did not advance anyone's interests, adding $7 trillion to our national debt. And Joe Biden sold off our foreign policy. Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, got a $5 million bribe from Ukraine. That's why we're sending $200 billion back to that same country. The fact of the matter is the Republican Party is not that much better. You have the likes of Nikki Haley, who stepped down from her time at the UN. Bankrupt or in debt is, was her family. Then she becomes a military contractor. She joins the board of Boeing and otherwise, and is now a multimillionaire. So I think that that's wrong when Republicans do it or Democrats do it. That's the choice we face. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's going to put this country first? Or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? All right, Mr. In which Ron, case, we've got two of them on stage. Ron, Good. Thank you. Senator, uh, Senator Scott, yes. Senator, same, same question to you about you're the president, you're on the phone in the Oval Office with the Prime Minister, you tell him what? Well, number one, I would tell Prime Minister, Prime Minister Netanyahu, not only do you have the responsibility and the right to wipe Hamas off of... Just notice everybody's responsibility and right and all that stuff. Everybody's saying the same things. Maybe because it's just common sense that you kill terrorists. Maybe that is the reason. It's so weird now everybody has to affirm it. Yeah, why does it have to be affirmed? Why can't we just accept it, understand it, and that's it? We don't have to all say the same cliche over and over again. The map. We will support you. We will be there with you. We'll stand shoulder to shoulder. There will be no daylight. But I'll change the station a little bit, though, and head back home to, to America. I would say to President Biden... Diplomacy only is a weak strategy. Appeasement leads to war.
what? Okay, I guess what he's saying is diplomacy only is a weak strategy. Maybe if I want to be generous, I would say that if it's not ever backed up with any action, that's what he's trying to say, then it's weak, which I agree, actually. But the wording is it's not the best wording to push across that message. That's a bad wording. So I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be generous here. But if he's trying to say something else here, that diplomacy in and of itself is weak and we need to be ready for war, mm, we, should, we should always be ready for war technically, but no. Again, with the neocon business. But I'm going to be generous here. So let's continue. From President Obama to President Biden, Obama sent millions to Iran. Frankly, President Biden has sent billions to Iran. That is why I've said that there's blood dripping from the hands of President Obama and President Biden. I would tell President Biden with great clarity, if you want to stop the 40 plus attacks on military personnel in the Middle East, you have to strike in Iran. If you want to make a difference, you cannot just continue to have strikes in Syria on warehouses. You actually have to cut off the head of the snake and the head of the snake is Iran and not simply their proxies in order for us to have a powerful response. From what kind of action does that entail? Hmm, let's see. America, we have to be in a position of strength. As President of the United States, my foreign policy is simple. You cannot negotiate with evil. You have to destroy it. All right, Senator Scott, thank you. Governor Chris, I want to get... Again with the cliche, and then you have to ask the question, do you think Putin is evil? Oh, okay, yes or no, maybe yes. And now you have to destroy a nuclear-powered country. Hmm, that's not a good idea. Get you to weigh in here. Look, Lester, these problems are so big and serious that the first... Did somebody... What's going on with Chris Christie? He can't get the word big out of his head. So I think something is going on here. First thing I would say to, to Prime Minister Netanyahu is pretty simple. America is here, no matter what it is you need at any time to preserve the state of Israel. Remember that Hamas's main goal is to get rid of Israel, is to get Israel absolutely off the map. Now, there are three things I think I would say to him when he asked for advice. The first I would say is that it is absolutely your obligation to protect the territorial integrity of Israel. Secondly, to make sure you protect the security and the safety of your people. Every time something happens to compromise either one of those things, it creates greater unrest in the entire region. Second, you must go in and make sure that Hamas can never do this again. Uh, the fact is that Israel and their intelligence community failed. They failed here and they failed the people of the state of Israel. And so we need to work closely and better together to make sure, one, that they're degraded, and two, that we know everything that's going on inside the Gaza Strip, when it's going on, so that something like this can't happen to kill 1,400 individuals again. And the third thing is to keep your eye on the ball. Make sure that we continue to isolate Iran, work with the reasonable nations in the Middle East, the other Arab nations who want to partner with you, and make sure that we continue to isolate Iran so that their only friends in the world are the part of the evil foursome, China, Russia, Governor, Iran, and North Governor Korea. Christie's. <sighs> Why? Oh, wait, did he... So the only allies Iran, Iran has is Iran. He... That's, uh, that's kind of redundant of him. But... I mean, him and Nikki Haley are redundant. We have two neocons here, Tim Scott as well. But Russia doesn't have to be part of this. They just don't. We are backing them into a corner. We are backing them into the so-called axis of evil. We are backing them, them to that position. It doesn't have to be like this. It's neocons and people who are villainizing the Russians. 
this entire time up until this point. And now, oh, now you see, they did all these terrible things to kill so many people like this. Yes, you backed them into that corner. All of this didn't have to happen. They tried to work with you, but you kept on attacking them and criticizing their uh, things that didn't, they didn't even do. And now, now everybody's upset. Wow, look at it. Look at what they did. You, Of course they're going to do this. When you back them into a corner, this is the end result. So, the, so when you put Russia into the same category, it doesn't have to be like this. But thank you, neocons. Good job. Good job. Thank you very much. We're going to continue in this vein right now with a question from Matthew Brooks, the CEO of the Republican Jewish Coalition, a partner of the Republican National Committee in this debate. Here it is. Given attacks by Iranian-backed proxy groups on U.S. military bases in Syria and Iraq, attacks that have wounded approximately two dozen of our U.S. servicemen, do you support the use of military force by the United States against Iran? Governor Haley, would you please answer that? Why do I get the feeling that he wants this? He asked it in a way that I get the feeling that he wants us to get involved militarily. Let's see. Yes, I'd first like to say they're five-inch heels, and I don't wear them unless you can run in them. Um... Uh, okay. Now... Now we're talking about heels. Cool. Really getting to the core things that affect the American populace. Good stuff. The second thing that I will say is I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ambulance. Heels, heels, heels. Okay. They're not a fashion statement. What, what would it be if not a fashion statement? Oh, so you could kick somebody. Oh, yes. I'm so scared. I'm scared. What we need to be doing for Iraq and Syria is, first of all, the idea that our men and women could be targeted and that we've allowed almost 100 hits to happen under Biden's watch is unthinkable. We need to understand this is Iran giving the green light, telling them what to do, and we shouldn't be doing the tit for tat like what Joe Biden has done. We need to go and take out their infrastructure that they are using to make those strikes with so they can never do it again. Iran responds to strength. You punch them one and you punch them hard and they will back off. But what we don't need is Biden falling all over himself to get back in the Iran deal, him giving $6 billion to get five hostages home, him telling Netanyahu now that he needs a pause or a ceasefire. We don't need him going and sitting there tiptoeing around Iran because he thinks they're going to do something. You don't respond to an... The suit... <laughs> the suit looks like it's not ironed well. I guess it's a fashion, apparently, some kind of fashion design to make it look that way but no this isn't doing it it looks like it <laughs> looks like couldn't find anything else to wear so decided to wear a suit that does not look like it was ironed properly an enemy and a terrorist with fear you respond with strength when you do that that's when the, At the very least on camera that's how it looks like maybe in real life it's a you could actually see some kind of design i'm not sure Old pays attention, and that's when Iran stops. Thank you. Governor DeSantis, if I can continue with you. Uh, just today, the U.S. launched another one of its limited airstrikes against targets in Syria, this time Iranian-linked facility. How far would you go militarily to hold Iran accountable? Well, first, Matt, thanks for your question, and I appreciate what you've done over the last month. I know it's been very difficult for the community, and appreciate you guys rallying together in difficult times. Uh, I actually served in Iraq back in the day, and um, we had al-Qaeda in Iraq. You had Shia militias that were funded by Iran that were killing hundreds and hundreds of U.S. troops. And as commander in chief, I am not going to put our troops in harm's way 
unless you're willing to defend them with everything you have. Biden has them out there. They're sitting. Wait, are you saying that if you are going to? Well, I won't. But if I am going to. Hmm. That kind of sounds very neocon to me. Ducks. He's doing glancing blows. That's just inviting more attacks from the Iranians. I would say. For the record, how about this? I just wanted to say for the record. I am no, I'm not for putting down our uh, putting our troops down there in the Middle East and doing the forever wars. But if our if we just could arm our intelligence agencies more properly to militar uh, milit militarize them against the Iranian, the certain Iranians, and do killing blows one after the other, their scientists and so on. No nation building, no invasions, nothing like that. Strikes that are precise. Nobody is safe. None of your scientists who want to build any nuclear weapons, they all die. No nation building, no invasions, no nothing like that. Just killing precise targets. I'm all for that. Yeah, go ahead and kill the terrorists. I don't care. But, but the... I don't want the neocon business to. I don't want that point to be to be considered. Oh, that that is neocon. No, I don't want to. I don't want the forever wars. But terrorists should die, and if we can kill them, by how the same way Donald Trump targeted the Soleimani and their other leader. I don't remember some kind of general of the Iranian their top guys. There's I don't remember what, what their militia was called. Anyway, killing them precise one hit and it's over. Yeah, go ahead and do that. I'm all for that. But I don't want to get involved in with our military. If our intelligence agencies could clear base, sure, go ahead and do. You you harm a hair on the head of an American service member, and you are going to have hell to pay. We are not just going to sit there and let our service members be sitting ducks. And that's How about we don't put our service members there in the first place? Ooh, that's a good idea. It's true whether it's Iran or whether it's any country on the world. We have to be strong and we have to defend the people who defend us. All right, thank you, Governor. Now our second and final question from Matthew Brooks of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Please watch. Jewish students across the country are threatened and under attack. What do you say to Jewish students on college campuses who feel unsafe given the dramatic rise in anti-Semitism? And what do you say to university presidents and college presidents who have not met the moral clarity moment to forcefully condemn Hamas terrorism? Mr. Ramaswamy, would you like to take that one? Now, it's cool that he points that out, which is true. It is true what, it, what he just pointed out, that Jewish students, especially on college campuses, are being attacked and the streets are not safe anymore, at least at how they used to be, and it's targeted precisely against Jews. But the same could be said about white students. They are looked as in contempt. So it's weird that only when it happens to minorities, everybody has to talk about it. But when it happens to white people, nobody really cares. So this is this is the country that we're building. We're building a country where only minorities matter and the majority doesn't matter, and soon the majority won't even be the majority, and we should celebrate it. Yay! Absolutely. I think the scourge of anti-Semitism across this country, including at places like my alma maters and places like Brooklyn Bridge in New York, it's sad to see, but here's what history teaches us. Anti-Semitism is a symptom of a deeper cancer in a country and a society that is lost, and we are lost. Several years ago when I wrote my first book, Woke Inc., I was talking about they were chanting death to America, death to white people, death to Christians. Nobody was waking up back then. Now it's even bad, now they're saying death to Israel and worse. So it is wrong, but we have to get to the root cause here. Now, I think it's really important that we do this through leadership, not censorship. 
Leadership means fill that void with purpose and meaning. Dilute this wokeism and anti-Semitism to irrelevance. These kids, they have no idea what the heck they're even talking about when they're siding with Hamas over Israel. They're fools. But I also want to caution here, if we go the direction of Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, with whom I respectfully disagree on this issue, pro-censorship, telling student groups to disband, mark my words, soon they will say if you question a vaccine and its side effects, you're a bioterrorist. So I kind of agree with him that the censorship shouldn't happen, but it's not necessary. It's not necessary to censor these people. You know why? This is the amazing thing. Because these people shouldn't be here in the first place. We're giving them visas. We're giving them these immigrants. We're giving them visas and other immigration statuses that uh, amnesty, that's one, that's a big one, continuously importing them from Somalia, from the third world. They don't belong here. They just don't belong here. Their values are incompatible with the United States. Why are we bringing in the third world? Why? Oh, but they're women and children. Okay, fine. I hear what you're saying. But our own people matter as well. Immigration should not be the question on how it benefits the illegal immigrant or the immigrants. The question on immigration is how does it benefit the citizenry? Like literally every other policy we have, we ask the question on healthcare. How does this benefit the citizenry? This is the question that it should be asked all the time, everywhere. But no, no, we need to we need to ask how does it benefit the immigrants? No. That's that's the wrong approach, and we have flipped it on its head. It's terrible, and we shouldn't be bringing in the th- third world cultures, peoples, people whose culture is disgusting, absolutely incompatible, incompatible with the United States, and they are dancing in the streets. And this is something. Oh, it's going to be so controversial. I'm going to be very controversial right now, but I don't give a crap. Donald Trump was correct when he said they are rapists and murderers. He was correct. And some, I assume, are good people. That is the correct attitude to have. Wow, that is so offensive. How dare you say? Well, how dare you say they are rapists and murderers? Do you really think that? I don't know. They're dancing in the streets for rape and murder. Literally, they're dancing in the streets for that. They're happy. They're marching in the streets for rape and murder. We know what Hamas did. We know what they do. We know what they do to women. We know what they do to little children. I mean, they're dancing, they're happy, they're celebrating it, they're giving out candy in celebration of rape and murder. I mean, they're rapists and murderers. If given the chance, they would commit the same atrocities here in the United States, if given the chance. This is their culture. They are, these people grow up in rape cultures. We're always talking about, oh, the rape culture in the United States is terrible. These countries have actual rape cultures. You should read Ann Coulter's book, Adios America. It's it, This is the book that launched Donald Trump and made him president. This is the book. You have to read that book. Without that book, Donald Trump would not be president. We, sh- we would not be talking about a wall. This is the book. You read that book, you'll see exactly what you need to know about the rape cultures in other countries. It's very important. So this, they are dancing in the streets for rape and murder. And we need to combat that. Stop bringing in the third world and deport. The answer is mass deportation. So on this question of censorship and so on and so forth, we don't have to ask the question, what about censorship? We don't have to ask the question. If these people weren't here, then there would be no problem. Let's continue. Soon they will say that if you show up at a school board meeting, you're a domestic terrorist. Soon if they say that J6 prisoners should be released, you're an... Wait, soon they will say they already are doing that. They already are doing that, Ravik. 
I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he knows that he's trying to make a point that it goes the other way, but they're doing that. Maybe we should utilize the same tactics and use it against them. They are for censorship. So I literally have no problem with censoring them. If you're for censorship, you can't complain when I'm going to utilize those same methods against you. You can't, you cannot complain about that. Why am I going to protect the right of freedom of speech against four people who are against my freedom of speech? It doesn't make any freaking sense. It just doesn't. I'll defend your right to say it. I'll defend your right to say that I don't have a right to freedom of speech. No, screw you. No, absolutely not. Why would I defend that? I think it was Chesterton who said that there's a thought that stops thought, and that is the only thought that, that should be stopped. That's 100% correct. Why? Why? Because there, it's not even commonsensical. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you defend somebody who's saying that you have no right to speak? Why would you defend it? It doesn't make any sense. Well, for the principle... Oh, for the principle. How has that been working out for you? For the principle. Everybody's so busy with principles. Nobody's willing to compromise in order to be tactically efficient in preserving greater goals. Oh, we have to die on certain hills. No, we don't. We can be tactical about this and utilize whatever tools and be expedient to us. We should utilize it against our enemies in order to win. And then we can have whatever freedom of speech we want. Then we can have it. But this, this purism, it doesn't work anymore. I wish we lived in a country where the purism could work, but the purism doesn't work anymore. Insurrectionist terrorist. So that's where this road ends. We don't quash this with censorship because that creates a worse underbelly. We quell it through leadership by calling it out. These university administrators have lost their way and we need leadership at the top in the United States of America that restores our founding values and that has no place for this kind of anti-Semitic hate. That's where I stand while respecting our constitution. Your time is out. Senator Scott, let me get you to weigh in on what you just heard. Cool. Let me just say to every single university president in America, federal funding is a privilege, not a right. Number one. Number two, to every student who've come to our country on a visa to a college campus, your visa is a privilege, not a right. Number three, any campus that allows for anti- I like how he's saying it. So he's not threatening them explicitly, but it's implied that he's not threatening okay you want to misbehave we could always deport you so i like that i would if i were on that stage i would be saying no i will deport you it's it's already too late you've already participated we will find you we will deport you once i get into office it's already too late nothing you can do right now is going to save you it's over for you i would make it as clear as day for them but this is also this is also pretty good so let's continue anti-Semitism and hate to allow students to encourage terrorism, mass murder, mass murder and genocide, you should lose your federal funding today, period. To all the students on visas who are encouraging Jewish genocide, I would deport you from those campuses. We have to stand strong. Okay, you see, now this is good. This is good stuff. Not the toughest, but pretty good. With our Jewish Americans. At the end of the day, we should not have our Jewish students in a library being told to hide on our streets in New York. A Jewish citizen has the right to walk on the streets. That is 100% correct. This, it, it boggled my mind when they told Orthodox Jews that they are not allowed, not that they are not allowed, but that they should exercise caution. Oh, you have to protect yourself because 
you know, certain people, they might attack you. So don't, this time or that time, don't walk around. Excuse me? As freaking, excuse me? What? No. Why does their right to so-called freedom of speech? Why does their right trans my right to be wherever I want to be to freedom of movement? Why? They've overtaken. They are colonialists. And lest you forget, or when Orthodox Jews lived in New live in New York, there are no problems. Once we brought in these people of lesser cultures, we brought them here to the United States. Oh, now there's a problem. Now the ethnic wars have to start. So when we had Jews, there were there were no problems. We brought these guys in. Now we're having problems. I guess the answer is get rid of the problem. Deport them. Put them back in their own countries. You want to? You want? This is how they live. This is how they want to live. They are marching the streets proudly. This is how they want to live. Deport them back to the country. You want to live like this? Fine. Live like this in your own country. If you find a Jew in your own country, you kill him. I guess that'll be your prerogative. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. We, if I could stop it, I would, but I mean, I don't have that kind of control, but why should we give them here? Have access to the, to America's Jews and do whatever you want. Kill them. Call for genocide against them. Yeah, sure. No, 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 no. You want to shout gas the Jews like they did in Sydney? You don't belong here. They don't belong in the West. Why are, why? It's just, the question is why? Nobody could actually answer that. Well, they are refugees and everything. Oh, they're refugees. Refugees that are, that are shouting. Gas the Jews. That is one hell of a refugee you got there. Hmm. Interesting. Of America with no fear. They have the right to go to college campuses, go to class, and not fear. We will restore that. I started working on anti-Semitism on college campuses in 2017 because even then there was a rise of anti-Semitism on college campuses. We must force the people off those campuses and yeah, frankly... Thank you. Let me, Out of our let me turn to the Governor DeSantis here. What do you think about what he just said? I was the first presidential candidate to say, if you are here on a student visa as a foreign national, you're making common cause with Hamas, I'm canceling your visa and I'm sending you home. No questions asked. Second, I have friends here in Good Florida stuff. who their kids do not feel safe even going to university campus at all outside of the state of Florida. You have Jewish students fleeing for their lives at Cooper Union. Joe Biden should have the Department of Justice on these college campuses and holding the universities accountable for civil rights violations. When you have, you should not have money going to these places. I already acted in Florida. We had a group, Students for Justice of Palestine. They said they are common cause with Hamas. They said, we're not just in solidarity. This is what we are. We deactivated them. We're not going to use Tate tax dollars to fund jihad. No way. And what is Biden doing? Not only is he not helping the Jewish students who are being persecuted, he is launching an initiative to combat so-called Islamophobia. No, it's the anti-Semitism that's... There we go. I'm glad that he actually pointed out that. And he touched on a very important subject. Islamophobia. I love that one. I just love it. I love the people who point that out. What about Islamophobia? Do not insult my intelligence. Phobia means a irrational fear. There is plenty of fear to fear Islam. There's plenty of reason to fear Islam. From their leader, Muhammad, who killed Jews, advocated for killing Jews, advocating for killing the infidels, took nine-year-old, a nine-year-old as his wife, there's plenty of reason. These are your role models. These are the people that they look up to. Just as a matter of fact, you cannot dispute this. This is where their religion espouses. They have child brides. 
They practice that. They throw gaze off of buildings. I mean, there is plenty of reason why to be afraid of this. What about the moderates? We're not talking about them. You see, now you have to pivot to something else. We're talking about the vast majority. And by the way, the vast majority of them are actually glad that 9-11 happened. Polled by them in Muslim-majority countries. The majority of Muslims said that they are glad 9-11 happened. Now, that doesn't make them all terrorists, but it does make them sympathizers with terrorists. And they're glad 9-11 happened. That's it. Why are we bringing them here? So do not, do not insult my intelligence. Islamophobia. You are irrationally afraid of Islam. You're irrationally afraid. Any woman who says that should be deported to Gaza, to Muslim-majority countries. Let's see how that works out for you. Let's see. Any gay who says that, deport them. Any Jew who says that, let's see how, let's, I'm just curious to know what would happen if they are deported to Gaza, to Iran, or other, certain other countries. What, what will happen to them? Stop being an idiot. Just stop being an idiot. Spiraling out of control. Sorry. That is what we have to confront. And as president, I can tell you this. We are not going to stand for this on college campuses any longer. All right, Governor, thank you. Let me turn to Governor, Governor Christie. And, and considering what he just said, you led a state with a sizable Muslim population. Last month, as you know, a six-year-old uh, Palestinian-American boy was killed in Illinois by his landlord. His mother was all... By the way, I just want to point this out. I'm sure certain people... Well, that's still Islamophobic. I've already explained myself and I've said previously some things. So... I'll just point out just one more thing, is that Islam used to be, they used to be a very advanced, uh, they used to have very advanced cultures, they used to be the place to go for all medicine, for architecture and so on, they used to be that place, the go-to if you wanted to advance yourself, especially uh, in the Middle Ages, in the Dark Ages in Europe, they were the most, they were the most advanced at the time, that's why they were such a threat, the Ottoman Empire, that's why it was such a threat to the, to Europe, but I, at some point, they decided that all these arts, all these other things, it's not allowed. I don't remember exactly the context of that. Long story short is that they decided that those things are not good. And ever since then, they have stagnated. That's why the Ottoman Empire collapsed in part. But they've not done too much progress on that. So, I mean, there I have... I've done the research. I know my way around the history of Islam and of the Ottoman Empire and so on and so forth. I'm not talking of ignorance and being, oh, you're so scared. He's probably... Just shut up. I've done the research. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And do not insult my intelligence when you say, oh, you're Islamophobic. I have very good reason to be afraid of Islam. Very good reason. Gas the Jews. Also stabbed more than a dozen times in what has been charged as a hate crime. What do you say to Muslim Americans? Oh, yes. I'm not, just one more thing. I'm sorry. I'm pausing so many times. Just on the gas, the juice part. Don't forget that these people would be considered on a daily day basis to be normal people. They're your, they're your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors. They're suddenly out of nowhere. They're shouting gas, the Jews. Nobody, none of their neighbors would have guessed. Wait, these are normal people. They, they're just like us. No, they're not. No, they're not. And they're also feeling afraid for their safety right now. Yes, sir. I'm the only one on the stage who's actually had experience in dealing with this. I was appointed by President Bush to be the U.S. Attorney in New Jersey on September 10th, 2001. And when I took over that job after the September 11th attacks, 
I had to deal with a situation in our state that was explosive. We're the most ethically diverse state in this country. And so first, we heard credible reports about Jewish students and synagogues being threatened in our state in the aftermath of 9-11. We made sure that we sent federal agents to those synagogues and we protected them. The same thing should be being done now. At the very same time, I personally went from mosque to mosque in New Jersey and met with the leaders of those mosques and with the members of the mosques. And I said to them, law enforcement is on your side to protect you, regardless of your religion, if you are gonna comply with the law. And we developed fabulous relationships with Muslim Americans all across the state of New Jersey. And we stopped any hate crimes that were going on either against Jewish Americans in New Jersey or Muslim Americans in New Jersey. It takes leadership, Lester, to know how to do this. You must work with both sides. Both sides need to know it, but let us never have a false moral equivalence between Hamas and Hezbollah and the Jewish people. The Jewish people stand for right and justice, and Hamas Governor, and Hezbollah stand for death. Governor Christie, thank you. And Ambassador Haley, what do you Hamas and Hezbollah are of, they represent the Muslims. Sorry, actually, that is, Hezbollah is in Lebanon, but Hamas represents the Muslim majority in Gaza. But, and they are two different things, of course. Hamas is, is in a way, it's separate from the citizenry, so-called citizenry of Gaza. But the same goes up with Jews. Jews, not all Jews are, are Israelis. So I don't know exactly what he was trying to say there, that there's a, an, that there's no equivalence between the two because one is the government of Israel. Then you have Jews who are not even Israeli. They are American Jews. So, I mean, whatever. What do you say to Americans who are simply afraid right now in this in this current environment that we're talking about? I think, it, you know, you look at the, the country and the country is all out of sorts. I think, look at what these kids are dealing with on college campuses. What makes me so angry is not only do you have the kids barricaded in the library, they said they were going to shoot up the kosher dining hall. You've got kids dorm rooms who are being set on fire because they have something related to Israel on their doors. No person should ever feel in danger like this. And this is what I would say about our college presidents, is if the KKK were doing this, every college president would be up in arms. This is no different. You should treat it exactly the same. Anti-Semitism is just as awful as racism. And we've got to make sure they're protected. And for everybody that's protesting on these college campuses in favor of Hamas, let me remind you something. Hamas said death to Israel and death to America. They hate and would kill you too. And the they know that talking about genocide for the Jewish people. That's not the values of America. That's not us. We're better than that. We don't need to celebrate terrorists. We don't need to celebrate genocide. We don't need to to celebrate violence towards anybody. We need to go back and soul search in our country and remember what we are about. And we are about taking care of people, not going and making them live in fear because some other terrorist activity says they want to destroy them. Ambassador, thank you. Kristen. Lester, thank you. This is another question for the entire field, so you will all get a chance to respond. But Senator Scott, I'd like to start with you. The United States has given Ukraine financial and military support since the war began more than 600 days ago. President Zelensky told me on Sunday, if Russia isn't stopped now, quote, the price will be higher for the United States and Americans would be forced to, quote, send your sons and daughters to defend NATO countries. What a piece of crap. Senator Scott, where do you stand on more funding for Ukraine? Well, I certainly have been very supportive of Ukraine. I believe that ultimately we should make sure that the president of the United States states what is America's national vital interest in Ukraine. It is actually in degrading the Russian military. We've been very effective using our resources. There you go. There you go. It's just plain old hatred for Russia. 
That's it. And by the way, when they had Stalin in there, when they had the their other dictators who were killing thousands of people in Russia, they loved the guy. The neocons loved the guy. But now we got somebody who's more pro the United States. Let's alienate them. And now when I say, well, actually, he was the most pro United States president, Russian president that the Russians ever had. Oh, now I look like the weirdo. What do you what do you mean? Look, look at him. Look what he said. Yes, we know what we what he said. That's after we alienated him. But here we go. Russia is the bad guy now because they're not killing enough civilians. But when they were killing enough civilians, when we had Stalin in there, oh, he was Uncle, good Uncle Joe. Wait, good Uncle Joe. No, not Joe Biden, but the other one. So I know it's confusing from time to time. And the incredibly high price of Ukrainian blood to achieve that objective. Every day we get closer to the degradation of the Russian military, and that's good news. But the American people are frustrated that they do not have a president who reminds us and tells us, where's the accountability? Where are those dollars? How are those dollars being spent? We need those answers for us to continue to see the support for Ukraine. And at the same time, I would say that a package, a package that's been offered by the president for Ukraine and Israel, that's the wrong approach. We need to focus specifically on providing Israel with the $14 billion that they need so that we show the world that we are 100% undeniably standing shoulder to shoulder with Israel. We're 100% undeniably bankrupting ourselves because there are foreign powers that have decided that they want our money. And then as we turn away from that direct support for Israel, we should go to our southern border and close our southern border with the resources necessary. I believe that we have sleeper terrorist cells in America. Correct. Thousands of people have come from Yemen, Iran, Syria, and Iraq. If we are going to deal with a national security emergency... Hell, not only those countries, but... Yeah, correct. At our border, Senator we have Scott. to do it now. Senator Scott, thank you. But just to be very clear, if you were president, if you were in the Oval Office today, would you sign off on more military funding for Ukraine or would you discontinue it? Bottom line is we have to first have the level of accountability that allows the American people to understand where the resources have gone. Number one. Number two. Vivek is like, mm, nah, no, 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 no. After we have that, that responsibility taken care of and accountability, then we have an opportunity to look at the overall strategy that helps us degrade the Russian military while we use our resources. And frankly, keeping our NATO partners safe from the Russian military. Keeping our NATO partners satisfied and content. That's what's going on here. It's absolutely essential, as you understand, Article Levique 5 is like, nah. require to support and to defend NATO, our troops on the ground. The fastest way for us to eliminate that possibility is for us to destroy to the extent possible, the Russian military. By doing so, we actually achieve the objective of keeping our military home. And that's good news. Thank you, Senator Scott. Mr. Ramaswamy, are you persuaded by President Zelensky's urgent new plea? Where do you stand on more funding? I'm absolutely unpersuaded. And I'm actually enjoying watching the Ukraine hawks quietly, delicately tiptoe back from their position as this thing has unwound into a disaster. The first half of this race, I was the only person standing for it. Now they're actually quietly coming around to being more cautious as they should. Level with the American people here. Ukraine is not a paragon of democracy. This is a country that has banned 11 opposition. Parties. But even if it were, who gives a crap? It's not the 51st state. Stop sending away our money and bankrupting us. And even if you weren't bankrupting us, it's not the government's money to spend on another nation. Parties. It has consolidated all media into one state TV media arm. That's not democratic. It has threatened not to hold elections this year unless the U.S. forks over more money. That is not democratic. It has celebrated a Nazi in its ranks, the comedian in cargo pants, a man called Zelensky, doing it in their own ranks. That is not democratic. More facts for you that you won't hear from the mainstream in either party or the mainstream media. 
the regions of Ukraine that are occupied by Russia right now in the Donbas, Luhansk, Donetsk. These are Russian-speaking regions that have not even been part of Ukraine since 2014, that other people probably couldn't name those provinces for you. Those are the hard facts. And so to frame this as some kind of battle between good versus evil, don't buy it. And I'd like the likes of the, the sharpest of the war hawks on Ukraine, Nikki Haley, to have some accountability and answer. Do you want to use U.S. taxpayer money to fund the banning of Christians? That is actually what's happening. They're using the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. They have banned them. The Ukrainian parliament just did this last week, supported by our dollars. And I think you owe it to the American people, Nikki, to at least this Mr. one time Ramaswamy, condemn, thank you. That's time. At least Mr. Ramaswamy, thank you. their banning of Christians. Mr. Ramaswamy, else, thank you. Uh, be quiet. He, let him cook. Let him cook. Thank you. Mr. Ramaswamy, thank you. We asked the questions. Ambassador Haley, what is your take on more funding for Ukraine? Let him cook. I am telling you, Putin and President Xi are salivating at the thought that someone like that could become president. They would love to the see fact that. The matter is she doesn't answer So this is what I will tell you. We're driving Russia all, into China's hands. He is correct. Let him. Let him cook. What the hell is going on? Oh, this is, this is a very good pause moment i love it look at that face she wants to murder him <laughs> oh this is such a good moment screenshot this and send it around this is good you had your time to talk the ambassador has the floor ambassador, thank you please. the first thing i'll tell you is we all remember what that thug did when he invaded ukraine we all oh boohoo it's not the how many? I feel like I have to beat myself over and over again. It's not the 51st state of the United States. Know that half a million people have died because of Putin. And here is a freedom-loving, pro-American country that is fighting for its survival and its democracy. Um, <laughs> love it. So millions of people die in Ukraine. You just gotta love that she's not talking about. What about Bush lie and his intelligence agencies lying? about Iraq and 1.6 million people dying over there. Should the United States government prosecute President Bush for 1.6 million deaths? That's something to think about. No, I don't think we should give them cash. I think we should give them the equipment and the ammunition to win. And I'll tell you, if Biden had done it when they first asked for it, this war would be over. But let's also remember this. When you left Afghanistan in shambles and left them with a ton of weapons and money, it's not that we left, it's how we left. When you look at Ukraine, don't think for a second, now everybody wants to move away from Ukraine, they'll wanna move away from Israel a year from now. America can never be so arrogant to think we don't need friends. After 9-11, we needed a lot of friends. Now is the time to get partnerships. This unholy alliance between Russia, Ukraine, and China is real. We need, a, we need a lot of friends, and here we go. After 9-11, we need a lot of friends. Guess who freaking helped out after 9-11? I'll give you a hint. The name starts with R. Yup, it was Russia. Russia helped us out after 9-11. They had a lot of intelligence on Afghanistan. They invaded Afghanistan throughout the Cold War, and... They have a lot. They had a lot of intelligence on the inner workings of the governments and bases, military bases, and so on and so forth. So they shared it with the United States in order for the United States to be more effective in invading Afghanistan. That's this is what I meant. This is in part what I meant. There's much more. There's much more to talk about, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But there's much more to talk about uh, about how Russia helped out the United States. But now we need to attack. We need to continuous uh, continuously attack them they they are the most pro rush the most pro the united united states they've ever been but right now good job neocons you're doing an excellent job
There is a reason the Taiwanese want us to support the Ukrainians. It's because they know that China's coming after them next. There is a reason Ukrainians want us to support Israelis. Because they and there's also a reason why that other country wants us to do this or that thing. Not listening to the American people, just listening to other countries. This is neocon stuff. Always. Know that if Iran wins, Russia wins. Ambassador, we have to see the combination of the three. Ambassador, thank you. Governor Christie, what is your take? And how long should Americans be expected to help fund the war in Ukraine? Kirsten, let's remember the last time that we turned our back on a shooting war in Europe. It bought us just a couple of years. And then 500,000 Americans were killed in Europe to defeat Hitler. This is not a choice. This is the price we pay for being the leaders of the free world. And the fact is, this alliance is not just with Russia. Your sons and daughters have to be shot and killed because we're the leaders of the free world. Remember, Neocon. In China. Governor Haley knows this. Iran is in the middle of this as well, and so is North Korea. And they are all working to support Russia right now. And the reason they're doing it is because dictators work together. People who believe in democracy work together. We must stand with all of those that are standing up for democracy and freedom in this world. And by the democracy, 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 have I persuaded you on why we should get involved in Ukraine and continue to do so? Democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. Democracy is cringe. Next. By the way, let's remind everybody of this. In 1992, this country made a promise to Ukraine. We said if you return nuclear missiles that were part of the old Soviet Union to Russia and they invade you, we will protect you. An American promise. And also, the other part of that deal was that we won't continue to expand NATO eastward. That was the other part. But we lied and we continue to do so. And here we are. Here we are. So they won't tell you this, but yep, we lied. And now we're saying, why would the Russians do this? Maybe because you lied? Promise that's 31 years old is no different than an American promise that's made tonight on this stage. We need to stand by it. And those of us who forget history are doomed to repeat it. And the, I'd like to respond. And the absolute, the absolute giving in to dictators, which is being suggested on this stage, just shows the immaturity of the approach. I'd Governor like Christie, thank you. Governor DeSantis, I'd like you to weigh in on this idea. Are you concerned that this could become a wider war if Putin is not stopped now? Well, any suggestion by Zelensky or anyone else that we should, that we're going to eventually have U.S. troops there, I can tell the American people when I'm president, that will not happen. We are not going to send your sons and daughters to Ukraine. I am going to send troops to our southern border. If you look, talking out, talking from both sides out of your mouth earlier, he did not make it this clear. So we'll see. But at least he's now stating it clearly. Look at the threats that we face. Terrorists have come in through our southern border. I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to have the military. And I'm going to deport the people who come, particularly under Biden, who come from the Middle East, come from all these places. Now, Biden wants $105 billion. Uh, 60, most of that's Ukraine, including some of it going to pay pensions for bureaucrats and salaries. That is a totally ridiculous use of American tax dollars. He says he has money for border to try to do, and the media will repeat that. When you look at it, what most of the money is, is money to process more illegal aliens into this country. How is that solving the problem? That's making the problem worse. See, I love that the, that he's switching it up. And now other, I don't remember who else switched it up and, and started talking about the border. So I love it. You gotta, you gotta switch up the questions because the questions that mattered the most will not be asked. And it's the responsibility of the presidential candidates to switch up the question, to talk about what really matters. And what does he do for the Indo-Pacific? A pittance. That is the top threat that we face. We need to bring this war to an end. We need the Europeans to step up and do their fair share. And we need to get serious about the top threat that this country faces, which is the Chinese Communist Party.
So if I Thank may you, Governor. To the Ukraine Q. question. In fact, we are going to go from the hot wars in Ukraine and Gaza and Israel to what many people are calling the new Cold War with China. And I remind the Wow, the the energy here, the atmosphere is so neocon. This war, that war. Let's continuously talk about war. Audience, that it's important for our visitors at home to be able to hear you, and especially for the people in Beijing to hear you. Many Republicans believe that the Chinese Communist Party and General Secretary Xi is an existential threat to the United States. The flashpoint is Taiwan. For decades and decades, the American military, but primarily the United States Navy, has deterred an attack from China to the island state of Taiwan. But Ronald Reagan's Navy of 600 ships is gone. Now, the question to you is, and I'll start with you, Ambassador Haley, because you were in President Trump's cabinet. His goal was a 355-ship Navy. That's what he pushed for. He got to 300. It's now at 291. Is that big enough to deter and, if necessary, defeat an invasion of Taiwan? China has war. The largest naval fleet in the world. They have 350 ships. They'll have 400 ships in two years. We won't even have 350 ships in two decades. China has built up their military. It's not just land, air, and sea. They're doing cyber. They're doing artificial intelligence. They're doing space. America needs to modernize our military. We need to do everything we can. The first thing is you go and you make sure you have the back of you, backs of Ukraine. That's why the Taiwanese want us to support Ukraine because they know that sends the biggest message to China. The second thing is we go to China. So, so tiresome. China is not going to invade Taiwan. It's a fever dream of the Chinese. It's not going to happen. People need to get educated on this subject because the, the beaches that they can invade are very limited. The weapons that they could use to invade are also very limited. They are a very, very limited country and they don't have the time nor the resources nor the manpower nor the stability to do so. If they do so, then there's all kinds of things that the Vietnamese could do to combat that. So it's just not going to happen. I can't share everything here because I want to continue on with what the idiots have to say, but it's not going to happen. They're not going to invade. And we start being tough on them. No more sales of our American soil to China. And let's take back what they've already stolen. Then you go and you to the university. Correct. We should not be selling any, any of our land to China. That is correct. Universities. No more having millions of dollars go to our universities. Then we will go and end all for formal trade relations with China until they stop murdering Americans from fentanyl. Something Ron is yet. What is that going to do to our economy? War. To say that he's going to do and then we modernize our military when we strengthen our military when we modernize it with the focus of cyber artificial intelligence in space when we make sure that we have the backs of our friends whether it's in israel whether it's in ukraine and we should be arming taiwan make sure they have the equipment they need make sure they have they freaking have sure they have the training they need now there's nothing china fears more than knowing that america will have taiwan's back let's make sure that we show it by making sure they have the equipment they need these are the guys the neocons they love talking about oh we hate big government except except when we take care of other countries but we hate big government governor DeSantis, my question is specifically about the navy it's a 291 it's going to go down perhaps as low as 280 is it enough and what would you build if you were going to build more not enough. We have to have the ability to back up a strategy of denial of President Xi's ambitions. And if China is able to be the world's leading superpower, that will affect you and your family in ways that are going to be very bad. They will export authoritarianism all around the world as the cost of doing business. They won't post things like social credit scores and Internet monitoring. So this is I have huge news for you. It's actually the capitalists who are doing all these kinds of things with BlackRock, Black Vanguard, J Street. No, that is a different one. Stay Street. Sorry. And so on and so forth. So that's what's going on. So it's actually the capitalists, so-called, 
who are the crony capitalists, to be precise. So they're looking at China as a model, but we are looking in the wrong places to get the authoritarians here. Is to this generation what the Soviet Union was to the post-World War II generation. I've already released a plan. We're going to get the 355 ships at the end of the first term, 385 ships at the end of the second term, but we're going to have a path to 600 ships over the next 20 years. I think the future of freedom is going to be determined in the Indo-Pacific. We have a strategy not with mil not just military, but decoupling from the economy and fighting them here at home with their cultural. You know, Ambassador Haley said somehow I wasn't doing. She welcomed them into South Carolina, gave them land near a military base, wrote the Chinese ambassador a love letter saying what a great friend they were. That was like their number one one way to do, to do economic development. In Florida, I banned China from buying land in this state, and we kicked out so on our universities, and we kicked the Confucius Institutes out of our universities. We've recognized the threat, and we've acted swiftly and decisively. Senator Scott, you've been in the Congress since 2011. Defense spending has fallen over that entire period of Absolutely. time. Where are we going to get the money, and what would you build, and what kind of ships to deter China from attacking Taiwan? Well, two major problems with the, with the question. Number one, uh, we do not have currently a defense industrial bank to allow us to have the kind of production that we need in order to keep America safe. Frankly, if we are not prepared to fight and engage in three continents at the same time, think about where we are today. In the Middle East, we are in the midst of trying to back our strongest ally. In Eastern Europe, we've seen our resources and our weaponry help degrade the Russian military. The Indo-Pacific, we have real challenges. The long-term threat, the long-term threat is China immediate threat is our southern border. In order for us to have the military to fight three different con continents at the exact same time, we are going to have to invest heavily in our military, but we're also going to have to invest heavily in an industrial base so that we can hit our objectives from a military perspective, not only with our ships, but also with our, air with our planes. We are so old as a military that in order for us to recalibrate, we're going to have to invest. One of the things I do in my Made in America strategy is to create more than 4 million new jobs by having high-tech manufacturing come back to America, decoupling from China, so that we focus our attention on creating that industrial revolution that will be necessary for us to achieve the goal of having a military that is ready to be lethal and come home safe. Thank you, Senator. Mr. Ramaswamy, I'm looking for specifics. What would you build? Where would you build it? When would they be in the water? How big would the fleet get? First answer is end the toxic divest to invest program. For people who don't know about that, we're decommissioning ships in the South China Sea. The foundation of war is economics. Rebuild our defense industrial base at home. But here's the dirty little secret. Our actual defense industrial base depends on China for the supply chain, for the F-35 jets, for the ships that we're building. Think about this. Why are we stockpiling that if it isn't to actually be strong against our enemy, China? We depend on them for that, just like we depend on them for pharmaceuticals, just like we depend on them for semiconductors. So here's why we can't get tough with China. It's because we depend on them for our modern way of life. And we have to declare economic independence from our enemy. Correct. That's the Declaration of Independence that Thomas Jefferson at the age of 33 would have signed. If today, if you were alive, that's the Declaration of Independence that I will sign as the next president. I do have to recognize that Ron DeSantis was correct about acknowledging Nikki Haley's tough talk when she was ambassador to the UN, calling China our great friend, bringing the CCP to South Carolina. What he left out, though, Ron, and be honest about it, there was a lobbying-based exemption in that bill that allowed Chinese nationals to buy land within a 20-mile radius of a military base lobbied for by one of your donors. So I think we have to call a spade a spade. We need politicians who are independent of the forces that increase our dependence on China. My message to Xi Jinping is this. You are done buying land in this country. You will not donate to universities in this country. U.S. businesses won't expand into the Chinese market until you play by the same set of rules. You're kicked out of the Quick WTO, follow. and you actually have to have accountability for the COVID-19 pandemic financially. You yes. can only tell the world we have to hold them accountable. Do you have a number and a plan?
think that we need to increase our naval capacity by at least 20% over the course of the next several years. I think we have to, at minimum, be able to meet our AUKUS agreement standards. Right now, we are at risk of not even being able to meet our AUKUS standards with, with Australia and the UK. So what we need to do is have a plan that reverses the trajectory of the divest Thank to you. invest program you, I'd like to by 20% over the next three years. Governor Christie? You know, my first observation to you is that nobody answers your question. And, and my, my first observation actually is that Chris Christie should not travel by boat. My second observation is these three in the middle think they're the enemy. I know China is the enemy. And that's what we should be focused on. So let's be really clear. The nuclear submarines in this United States Navy is the greatest deterrent to Chinese aggression. And that is the first. Nuclear. What did I say? <laughs> Neocons. You gotta love it. How many? You know what? If you're playing a game. Drink every time I say the word neocon, and right now you can drink again. Place I would go to increase American naval power. Our nuclear submarines are able to move stealthily, quietly, and effectively. And if we are going to deter China from invading Taiwan, the only way we're going to do it is to make sure that they don't know whether how many nuclear submarines from the United States of America are in the South China Sea and in that area and ready to strike on them if they decide to move on Taiwan. And so we, as our first priority, need to go directly to our nuclear sub-program queue, and we need to increase it drastically. That would be priority number one. Ships would come next, but to me, the ships are secondary choice here. The, the submarines are the single most important thing that we could be deterring, that we could be using to deter China. But the but I think the nuclear sub is the one that is powered by nuclear, so I kind of misread what he was saying there. So just want to clear that up. Another thing we could do to deter China is to let them know that the blood money they're spending for Russia in Ukraine right now will not be effective. That we send Putin home with his tail between his legs and make them understand that the same fate waits for them. If they You can't even see Chris Christie's tail. Decide to move towards Taiwan with a more aggressive nuclear sub-program, we'll be able to make that threat real. Thank you, Governor. We're going to take a brief pause now and we'll be back for the Republican presidential primary debate. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to tonight's NBC News Republican presidential debate. Once again, here's Hugh Hewitt. Thank you, Lester. We're going to stay on China, and we're going to talk specifically about TikTok. Last week, Congressman Mike Gallagher, who is chairman of the House Bipartisan Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, published a long essay on TikTok following the flooding of pro-Hamas propaganda onto TikTok accounts across the United States. Chairman Gallagher called it shocking. He called the app predatory, controlled by America's preeminent adversary, one used to push propaganda and divide America. It's spyware, he said, a means of surveillance. Governor Christie, do you agree with Chairman Gallagher? And if so, would you ban or force the sale of TikTok? I agree 100% with Chairman Gallagher. And let me say this. TikTok is not only spyware, it is polluting the minds of American young people all throughout this country, and they're doing it intentionally. And when you saw what happened in the last few weeks with all of this anti-Semitic, horrible stuff that their algorithms were pushing out at a gargantuan rate, this is China. Gargantuan. But he is correct. He's 100% correct in that assessment. And that's about it that I could say about what he's saying here. And it's basically to destroy the United States from within. So he is correct on that assessment. China trying to further divide the United States of America. And this is one of the big failings among many of the Trump administration. He talked tough about TikTok. I heard him do it many times. But when it came down to it, he did not ban them when he could have and should have. And now since then, we've had an additional nearly six years of this type of poison being put out throughout the United States, even putting aside the spine which we know is going on in the theft of American personal data and information. 
So in my first week as president, we would ban TikTok. They want to go ahead and sell it? Let them go ahead and sell it. But I'll tell you another reason we would do it. Facebook's not in China. X is not in China. They're not permitting a free flow of information to the Chinese people from our social media companies, yet we just open the door and let them do what they're doing. TikTok should be banned because they are poisoning American minds, and I would do it week one. Thank you, Governor. I want to go to Governor DeSantis. Would you ban or force the sale of TikTok, regardless of whether or not China allowed American apps to operate in China? Yes, I think that China is the top threat we face. They've been very effective at infiltrating different parts of our society. So my policy on China and the Chinese Communist Party is very simple. We win, they lose. And in order to do that, it's not just military, it's economic and it's cultural. And as the dad of a six, five and a three-year-old, I'm concerned about the data that they're getting from our young people and what they're doing to pollute the minds of our young people. These kids get these devices and they have a mind of their own. And I know a lot of parents are looking, it's hard to even keep it out. China's obviously the, the most extreme, but this is happening with other things. So we are gonna do that and we are gonna make sure to protect the American people. It's a full spectrum approach to be able to fend China off. Yes, military deterrence, yes, economic uh, decoupling, but also their role in our culture. If we don't, if we ignore that, we're not going to be able to win the fight. Ambassador Haley. We win, they lose. Okay, fine, but what's your plan? No plan. Okay, cool. Speak to the parents out there. There are probably TikTok apps on half the phones in this uh, auditorium. No, I'm going to speak to the fact that two people hit me and you didn't let me respond. So let's first talk about the fact that they want to talk about the Chinese land from 10 years ago. Yes, I brought a fiberglass company 10 years ago to South Carolina. But Ron, you are the chair of your economic development agency that as of last week said Florida is the ideal place for Chinese businesses. Not only that, you have a company that is manufacturer of Chinese military planes. You have it. They are expanding two training sites at two of your airports now, one which is 12 miles away from a naval base. Then you have another company that's expanding, and they were just invaded by the Department of Homeland Security. So mine was 10 years ago. You Yours was stuff. six I months ago. What's your story? And I this actually is pretty good because Ron, look at this. She's not turning back, but she is looking at Ron, and Ron is looking straight forward, not even looking at her. Now, this is a move that Donald Trump did when he ran in 2016. He would look straight at the moderators and at the cameras, but not at the individual candidates. So, and that is Alpha Energy, okay? I know some might not like it, but he's copying Donald Trump here. So... It's actually pretty good that he is now looking straight at the camera and not at her. Abolish that agency that she's talking about. No, Enterprise he, Florida, we abolished it. And of course, we banned China from buying the land. the website Not last exactly week. a Go great check. recruiting pitch if you're banning them from purchasing you land the website so last up week. Thank you, right Florida. Mr. Ramaswamy, uh, we've talked about this. You campaign on TikTok. How do you get TikTok banned if you use it? Well, I, I want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question, which was about looking at families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. The next generation of America. Keep my wife's name. <laughs> that's the energy. That is the same energy. Anyway. ...are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters crapping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're the easy dumb. answer is actually to say that we're just going to ban one app. We got to go further. We have to ban any U.S. company actually transferring U.S. data to the Chinese. Here's a story most people don't know. Airbnb hands over U.S. user data to the CCP. 
Now, that's a U.S.-owned company. So this is the problem when you have Republicans that temporarily go the way the winds blow, and now it's popular to talk tough on China when she was U.N. ambassador, called them literally her words, not mine, our great friend. You can't be fair-weather fans of the right policy. Get to the root. I think Ron is threatened by Vivek because he did not turn when Haley was talking, but now that Vivek is talking, he Vivek, actually, that's his name. But he actually turns to Vivek and... That's beta energy from Ron. He was good when he did it with Haley, but now that he's do that he's turning to Vivek, nope, that's not good. Not good energy, Ron. Root cause. Even U.S. companies in Silicon Valley are regularly doing it. Cut the virtue signaling. The fact of the matter is Democrats are on TikTok today. The only person, one of the few people who is putting up content the way the actual algorithms work, speaking for pro-Israel views or others, Ambassador Haley, critics, um, more Republicans will join it. But uh, stop U.S. companies from turning over data to Chinese. But why are we talking again about Israel? It's, they're talking about how bad things, they're pushing bad things and criticizing Israel, so on and so forth. What about anti-Americanism? And TikTok, there's a lot of anti-Americanism, but why are we talking about oh anti-Israel? That's Israel's problem. Now, of course, when it talks about when they're talking about anti-Semitism, now it's a problem for the American Jews. Okay, fine, we can talk about that, but we also have to talk about anti-whiteness. But no, we can't talk about we cannot talk about these things. We have to always talk about whatever is affecting the minorities and never what is affecting white people because. The, we live in an anti-white culture. Chinese companies. Moderators like uh, Christian don't get to respond to personal attacks, but you do. Thank you very much. You know, when he talks about me praising China, he doesn't know the fact that the reason China was praised was because I negotiated with China and Russia the largest set of sanctions against North Korea in a generation. We are the that is literally the reason North Korea stopped testing ballistic missiles. So I said China did good on their part. That was a negotiation you, you could friend, never do. What you said, Nikki, those are your words, not mine. And so just when, own up to you it. You would never have been able to get That's that allowed. negotiation but don't done. Don't lie to the people about I what you've said or what against you've done China, in South Carolina. My entire career. The United Nations. Right Every day I fought China. And I did it by making sure no one could get any country. agency heads in UN. I did it by making sure that we called them out on human rights. I did it by making sure that we held them accountable on everything that they did. That's the reason we got out of the Human Rights Council. That Wait, I'm surprised Nikki Haley is not wearing a Ukrainian flag pin. <laughs> I'm surprised. Pleasantly, but still surprised. I, I, you would have thought that she would wear one. That's the reason we I, called them out. And I have, there's not a day I have a time. Scott, Scott, it is your turn. Mr. Ramaswamy, afterwards. Everybody else is hanging on to the rules here, Mr. Ramaswamy. Senator Scott. Thank you. We should. I appreciate y'all clapping for me already. This is wonderful. Actually. I love this. <laughs> Without any question. What we should do is ban TikTok. Wait, did he just want, did he just want to walk off the stage like he did last time? With Tucker? Did he just want to... I think he realized that he cannot take the mic with him. Maybe he could, but maybe he realized, so maybe that's what's going on. But it seemed like he wanted to start walking around the stage like he did last time. And that would have been, wow, very awkward. But we noticed that. We have noticed some stuff lately. Period. Now, we saw under former President Trump, he tried to ban TikTok twice, but was struck down by our federal courts. If you cannot ban TikTok, you should eliminate the Chinese presence on the app. Period. We also should provide, in my parents' Bill of Rights, we give parents the opportunity to give their kids permission under 14 to be on those apps. I think it's incredibly important for us as Americans to take back control of the information, especially of our kids. Yes, I agree. 
but I agree. I, I would go even stronger. And until you're 18, you should not be on social media. I mean, why? Just live a freaking normal life. I were I wasn't. I wasn't on social media up until I was 20. I mean, just live a freaking normal life. Man. Where does it go? We should know that. One of the ways that we get to know that is by having a parental consent. But if we can eliminate TikTok, that is a first step. But it's not just TikTok. China continues to spy on our kids, but they're also buying our farmlands. We talked about that several times there. We have to make sure that we use the tools that are in our toolkit to stop China from buying farmland near our bases. The third thing we have to do is make sure that they stop stealing our intellectual property. They're literally stealing our IP to compete against us. My administration, we stopped that day one, and we start making sure that we create six-figure income for jobs made in America through my strategy. Kristen. Thank you so much. We're now going to talk about Venezuela, where millions have fled. Why are they continuously talking about other countries? It's amazing. Political and economic turmoil. Many Venezuelan immigrants are settling right here in Florida. Former President Trump and President Biden have taken different approaches to Nicolas Maduro's regime with little result. Former President Trump put economic pressure on Venezuela and backed one of Maduro's rivals. President Biden temporarily eased sanctions to encourage electoral reforms. Governor DeSantis, do you see the political situation in Venezuela as a threat to the United States, and what would your approach be? We should never rely on Venezuela for oil, like Biden has had to go beg. I'm going to unleash all of America's energy potential. On day one, I'm taking all the Biden regulations, the Green New Deal, ripping it up and throwing it in the trash can where it belongs. We're going to lower your gas prices. We're going to create jobs. We're going to lower energy costs. But we're also going to be more energy independent and secure. We'll choose Midland over Moscow. We'll choose the Marcellus over the Mullahs. And we'll choose Bakken over Beijing. That is good for America's national security. Biden's Green New Deal, that's good for Venezuela. It's good for Russia. It's good for Iran. And it's good for China. So I would turn the screws on the Venezuelan regime. I think it's a corrupt, dictatorial regime. And we should never go hat in hand begging for oil from them. Just to be clear, would you reimpose the sanctions? Yes, absolutely. Ambassador Haley, what would your approach be? You know, I stood on the Simon Boulevard Bridge and watched thousands of Venezuelans cross in the for hours in the hot sun holding their babies to get the one meal they might get that day going from Venezuela to Colombia. They were fleeing socialism and begging for freedom. We need to make sure that- Actually, no, they are not fleeing socialism. They're just fleeing their competitor's version of socialism, but don't get this mixed up. They are also socialists. They just believe that if it were their candidate or their version of socialism, then everything would work out. When it comes to the Cubans, it's a totally different ball game. But the Venezuelans, they're still socialists. Not all of them. A lot of them are actually very much anti-communist and anti-socialist. But I don't believe that the majority of them are actually anti-socialist. They're just against their, their competitor's version of socialism. That we do everything we can to sanction Maduro. We shouldn't be getting dirty oil. And Biden just gave 500,000 Venezuelans temporary priority status, which is just going to have more of them come. But on the energy side, it cracks me up that Ron continues to do this. He has opposed fracking. He's opposed drilling. Last time he said it wasn't true, and he, everybody found out that it was true. He opposed it before Florida voters even it's voted on it. He was praised by the Sierra Club, and you're trying to make up for it and act like you weren't you weren't a liberal when it comes to the environment. You were. You always have been. Just own it well, if that's the case. But don't keep saying you're something. That that you're not. Let me respond to that. Um, so uh, our whole energy plan, you can't get the shale without fracking. We are absolutely going to frack, but I disagree with Nikki Haley. I don't think it's a good idea to drill in the Florida Everglades, and I know most Floridians agree with me. You ban right. fracking. Thank you very much, Lester.
Uh, well, thank you. Let's turn to one of the biggest issues for voters. That, of course, is the economy. This is a question that will go to all of you. An Iowa voter recently told NBC News, how am I going to make sure my pantry stock without breaking the bank? You've all said the best way to deal with rising prices is to cut government spending. But that would take time to play out, and Americans are struggling right now. Senator Scott, I'll start with you. What would you do the moment you take office to help Americans manage the cost of living? So we're talking about short term here. My mother was a single mother who raised me and my brother in a very challenging economic situation. The first thing I can tell you is that when your gas prices are 40% higher right now than they were just a little over two years ago, that's not a problem for my mama. That was a crisis. The first thing I would do as President of the United States is I would sign the XL Keystone Pipeline and start seeing resources flow. Second thing I would do is make sure that there's certainty and predictability so that those folks who have the leases in our country would have the certainty and predictability to go ahead and become energy independent. We should focus not just just on being energy independent. We should focus on being energy dominant. America is the home to more energy resources than any other country on the planet. We can reduce the price of energy. We can reduce the price of food and the price of electricity if we focus on my build here, don't borrow from China plan that is embedded the Made in America strategy creates 10 million new jobs in three different areas. One is innovation. Second is the high-tech manufacturing. And the third is the energy economy. We have an opportunity as Americans to actually export the surplus energy that we create in our nation and disconnect from China and from murderous dictators and tyrants around Your the world. Your time is up, but let me just follow up. The idea of pumping gas, of, of turning on pipelines, that doesn't put, make gas cheaper that day. I'm talking about you become president. What can you do specifically to help people feel better about their situation or be better with their situation? Well, actually, it does, to be honest with you. The way that the economy works is it works on the ability to anticipate excess supply versus the demand. When that happens, confidence drives our prices down because we know there's going to be a greater surplus. When you allow for those who have leases to actually start drilling, to start using those leases for, for more energy excavation, you put our economy in the strongest position. And as a result of that, prices start going down. That is the kind of economy that as president of the United States, I would lead this nation to making sure that we first use the resources in our own country and not going outside of our country in order to achieve our objective. You know, Proverbs 22, 7 reminds us that the borrower is slave to the lender. We have become an indentured servant too often to countries like China. By having an energy economy, we start allowing this nation to once Senator, again return. Senator, thank you. Let me, let me the ask hill. the same question to Governor DeSantis. Can you give us some, you ticked off a number of things a moment ago, but some specific examples of ways that would, would put people on a, a better economic footing right away? So I started off working minimum wage jobs. I did $6 an hour as an electrician's assistant. I worked all kinds of things to be able to get through school. And I did that because I believed in America, if you work hard and get the most out of your God-given ability, you can get ahead. And what's happening now, many of you are working hard and you're falling further and further behind. I've met people in Iowa, New Hampshire, and all across the country who've talked about all the burdens that they're facing with the rising prices. And I've heard from multiple people the same story. When they go grocery shopping, what they now do is they figure out what they have to take out of the cart once it's ringing up because it rings up so much faster and so much higher at the cash register that they can't afford the full cart of groceries anymore. We have to restore the American dream in this country. What can you do on day one? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all the executive orders, the regulations, everything involving Bidenomics. I'm going to rip it up. I'm going to throw it in the trash can on day one where it belongs. That is going to give the economy breathing room. And I'm also going to rein in the Federal Reserve. They have helped create uh, with their reckless monetary policy what we have faced since the COVID-19 pandemic. They botched it. Congress botched it. Both parties are to blame. 
Fed should focus on stable prices. They are not an economic central planner for the American people. Governor, thank you. Mr. Ramaswamy, weigh in on this. Ways that you can improve people's financial condition in the short term. Right. And as a CEO, the economic question is core to my vision and policy prescription for this country. Increase the supply of everything. It's the law of supplies and demand. Increase the supply of energy. That brings down the cost of energy, grows the economy. Drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear. Increase the supply of labor in this country. Stop using our taxpayer money to pay people more to stay at home instead of to go to work. Increase the supply of housing. People don't talk about this one in the Republican Party. The land use restrictions are constricting the supply of housing. That's making housing more expensive for ordinary Americans across this country. So that's the true answer. And I think it takes a CEO in the White House who actually understands this to get this done. Because Americans at home, they know the Bidenomics is a lie. Prices are going up. Interest rates and mortgages to buy your home are going up. But wages have remained flat. That's the hard diagnosis for our economy. And this is about more than just our economy. I say this as a member of my generation. I'm 38 years old. I'm the youngest person ever to run for US president as a Republican. The reason my generation has lost our sense of national pride in part is because people in my generation feel like the American dream isn't available to them. And part of the reason why is we burdened them with four-year college degrees that did not serve their head start on the American dream. People will be more proud of a country if we're all making more money in that country. This is how we revive national pride and our identity, and it will take a CEO in the White House with zero-based budgeting, by the way, to take Mr. on federal Ramos debt Swami, to get you. this Let me turn done. to Governor Christie on that. Well, look, Lester, part of the, the, part of the entire premise of the question, and I agree with Tim on this, is absolutely energy is the key to this because it drives every one of those other prices. You know, now food gets to your grocery store, it gets trucked. And those truckers have to pay for fuel, for the higher fuel prices. And when you go ahead and you tell people, we are going to unleash every bit of American energy, every bit of its potential, what happens in the futures markets? The prices go down. Because those people who are believing that the Biden program will continue are the ones who are bidding this up. And let me tell you the other place that's bidding it up, in the Middle East. And so if you don't believe that making sure that Israel and that Israel situation that's Israel. going on right now is it resolved and resolved quickly as president of the United States and bring stability back that will also not permit countries like Saudi Arabia and others to be able to jack their prices as well in what they say is a response to a crisis when it's really what it's in response to is putting more money in their pockets when they have an American president who knows that Israel must be defended not with humanitarian pauses and not with suggestions for ceasefire but with letting them know we will supply them with everything they need that will also bring stability to the market energy is the key to bringing this down it's what every American family needs when they turn on their lights fill up their car and go to the grocery store and we need to do that first and foremost that's the short-term answer Governor Christie thank you Ambassador Haley let me come at this from a slide different direction Americans in rural communities are being especially squeezed by inflation right now an Iowa State University study found that last year inflation cost rural households about an extra five thousand dollars how would you specifically help rural Americans who are suffering right now well I'm a product of rural America I grew up in rural South Carolina and I can tell you what we're seeing now in America is the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poor we have to go and start beefing up the middle class and the first thing I would do is I will eliminate the federal um, gas and diesel tax in this country we'll cut taxes on the middle class, but we have to stop the spending binge that's happening by Republicans and Democrats in Congress. I will make sure, one, we claw back the $500 billion of unspent COVID dollars that are out there. Instead of 87,000 IRS agents going after middle America, we'll go after the hundreds of billions of dollars of COVID fraud that exist, one out of every $7. We'll stop the spending, we'll stop the borrowing, we'll eliminate the earmarks, and I'll veto any spending bill that doesn't go back to pre-COVID levels. That will, will you also stop spending money in Ukraine and Israel? You know what? Forget I even asked. We'll cut trillions and allow us to be safe. We also need to be not energy independent, energy dominant. We are blessed with resources, let's do it. But the reason no one should give you a number, Hugh, on the amount of ships in the Navy is because in a few years, 
our interest expense is going to be more than our defense budget. So no one can give you that number realistically without first tackling what's happening with the financial situation. It would be a false number to give you that. We have got to understand this is a crisis. It is a national security concern. If we don't deal with what's going to happen with that interest expense in a few years, we're going to look like Japan. And we can't let that happen. And, the and strong best, dollar matters. Ambassador, thank you very much. Christian. Americans could see... Americans could see their Social Security benefits drastically cut in the next decade because the program is running out of money. Former President Trump has said, quote, under no circumstances. And how is that? Circumstances hmm. Should Republicans cut entitlements? Governor Christie, first to you. You have proposed raising the retirement age for younger Americans. What would that age be specifically, and would you consider making any other reforms to Social Security? Sure, and we have to deal with this problem. Now, look, if we raise the retirement age a few years for folks that are in their 30s and 40s, um, I have a son who's in the audience tonight who's 30 years old. If he can't adjust to a few-year increase in Social Security retirement age over the next 40 years, i got bigger problems with him than his Social Security payments. Okay. And the fact is we need to be realistic about this. There are only three things that go into determining whether Social Security can be solvent or not. Retirement age, eligibility for the program in general, and taxes. I love when the elite talk about these kinds of things. They're so disconnected. But these, these things, the... Social Security is bankrupt, and I don't want to pay into it. No, I don't want. I don't want your Social Security. Let me keep my own money. That's it. That's all there is to it. I maybe make it optional. I don't know. And if you make it optional, prob probably you'll you'll go even even faster bankrupt. Which goes to show that people don't want it. Why are you forcing me to pay into this? I don't want to. That's it. We are already overtaxed in this country, and we should not raise those taxes. But on eligibility also, I don't know if out there tonight, and if you're watching Warren, um, I don't know if Warren Buffett is collecting Social Security, but if he is, shame on you. You shouldn't be taking the money. There are a lot of programs in this country that we all pay for that we don't get a direct benefit from. Food stamps is one of them. I've never, fortunately in my life, ever had me or my family on food stamps. But I'm glad it's there so that no one in this country goes to bed hungry at night if they have availability to that program. But I don't get a direct benefit. The fact is, on Social Security, remember why it was established. It was established as a safety net program to make sure that no one would grow old in this country in poverty. That's what we got to get back to. Rich people should not be collecting Social Security. Governor, can you give me a specific age, 69, 70? What would the age be? No, look, that's going to be a part of a negotiation with Congress, Kirsten. And hell, I'm not going to start negotiating until I get there. All right, Ambassador Haley, let me have you weigh in on this, because you said in June that you would be open to raising the retirement age. Have you determined what that age would be specifically, and what other reforms are you looking at? So first of all, any candidate that tells you that they're not going to take on entitlements is not being serious. Social Security will go bankrupt in 10 years. Medicare will go bankrupt in eight. Right now, you have Ron and Trump joining Biden and Pelosi saying they're not going to change or do any sort of entitlement reform. What we need to do is keep because it is not popular to do so. Because if you want to be electable, that is what you got to do. That's how you play the game. I also don't like these government run institutions, but Sometimes you have to play the game the way the game is played. Keep our promises. Those that have been promised should keep it. But for like my kids in their 20s, you go and you say, we're going to change the rules. You change the retirement age for them. Instead of cost of living increases, we should go to increases based on inflation. We should limit, limit benefits on the wealthy. Bernie Marcus can tell you he hates getting that check. Limit the benefits on the wealthy. And then expand Medicare Advantage plans. Seniors love that. And let's make sure we do that so that they can have more competition. That's how we'll deal with entitlement reform. And that's how we'll start to pay down this debt. And can you give me a specific age? Have you determined the age? Again, you have to work with Chris. What I can tell you is you can 
it's going to be those in their 20s just coming into the system, and it should reflect more of life expectancy. It doesn't do that now. All right, Mr. Ramaswamy, have you determined if you would touch entitlements and Social Security? What, if any, reforms are you looking at? So this is really important right now. We're working within the last window I believe we will have to actually fix this problem while still leaving Social Security and Medicare benefits for current seniors intact. I'll tell you how. The other candidates assume, like Nikki, that it can't be done. And on her math, she's right about it. But her math assumes $7 trillion of our $33 trillion national debt going to fight wars like in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. Minus that, our national debt would be $26 trillion right now. Then you go to zero-based budgeting, which I propose as a CEO, it's how I've run businesses, it's how many CEOs run businesses, don't use last year's budget as the baseline. Start with zero as the baseline and then ask what's actually necessary. 75% headcount reduction. Yes, that is severe in the number of federal employees in the Washington, D.C. bureaucracy. Shut down redundant agencies that should not exist. Deliver economic growth as a positive tailwind. I think we can get to three, four, maybe even 5% GDP growth if we really take the regulatory shackles off of our economy. And against that backdrop, I believe this is our last best window to be able to take care of our national debt problem through those severe measures, including sacrificing the foreign wars that many bloodthirsty members of both parties have a hunger for. That's the one secret for how we're going to be able to do this, and that requires discipline. So we can't have the first conversation we were having sending foreign aid willy-nilly to countries whose national debt per capita is less than ours. Thank you, But Mr. if we Robinson. do this correctly, I think this is our last window, and it'll take a CEO from the next Thank generation you. to do it. Thank you very much. Senator Southway in here. What are you looking at to keep Social Security sustainable? The bottom line is a simple one. We have to grow our economy and cut our spending. Let me just say to my mama and every other mama or grandfather receiving Social Security, as President of the United States, I will protect your Social Security. The fact is that we're spending today about $1.1 trillion on Social Security, about $750 billion on Medicare, about $300 billion on Medicaid, about $400 billion on veterans' benefits, $1.7 trillion on annual appropriations. If we're going to actually tame this tiger, the way you do it is not by picking on seniors who have paid into a program that deserve their money coming back out to them. The way you deal with it is, number one, you have to grow your economy. My plan, Made in America, creates 10 million new jobs, grows our economy at 5%. By doing so, you add trillions of dollars of economic activity and billions of dollars to your treasury. Number two, you have to cut taxes. When we cut taxes in 2017, I wrote the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Everybody said, well, guess what? Revenue will go down. Well, in 2018, after we wrote it in 2017, what happened? Revenue went up by 3%, and the next year, it went up by another 3%. So what we know is that the laffer curve still works. The lower the tax, the higher the revenue. And finally, if we're going to deal with it, we have to take our annual appropriations back to pre-2020, pre-COVID levels of spending, which would save us about a half a trillion dollars in the next budget window. By doing Senator, that, we deal with Social you. Security and our mandatory spending. Thank you, Senator. Very quickly, would you raise the retirement age? Would you be open to raising the retirement age, or do you rule that out? All you have to do is go to a farm in Iowa and watch the hard work and the dedication. Yes you or no, no, having Senator. A conversation. Yes sir. The answer no. is no, but going, listen to this before you go on. Thank you. The fact of the matter is that the more physical your labor, a year or two or three more is actually challenging to the physical body. You and I might have a different perspective, but for those farmers, they're working night and day. Thank you, Senator. I appreciate it. Governor DeSantis, finally to you, would you be open to raising the retirement age and how would you keep Social Security sustainable? Well, look, as governor of Florida, uh, I know a few people on Social Security, and um, I know it's important. My grandmother lived till 91, and Social Security was her sole source of income, and that's true for a lot of seniors throughout this country. So what I'd say to seniors at America, uh, promise made, promise kept. I understand what you're going through with the rising prices, uh, and you need that Social Security check. So we'll make sure to get that done. Uh, what can you do to help shore up Social Security? One of the things that's that's causing problems is the inflation. We have to reduce inflation. Correct. Higher inflation, the seniors get a cost of living adjustment, which means the program's spending more, but it doesn't cover the
the increase in the actual inflation rate. We also do need to get to at least 3% growth. You're never going to be able to have uh, issues, be able to solve the budget without that. But I would note this. Congress for decades took money from Social Security. Social Security would have more tax revenue than it put out. They would take it and then they'd write an IOU to Social Security. Yep. Congress has a lot of dirty hands on this. There we go. I'm going to force Congress to stop spending so much money. Um, and you know, one thing we have to talk about the retirement age is just something that's changed in the last four or five years. Life expectancy in the United States is declining. So in this yes country. or no, would you raise it? Would you raise the retirement when, when, age? When, uh, when life expectancy is declining, I don't see how you could raise it the other direction. So it's one thing to peg it on life expectancy, but we have had a significant decline in life expectancy in this country. So and that's just out. the fact. All right, Governor DeSantis, thank you. Thank you, candidates. And we will be right back after a quick break from Miami, Florida. Yep. Welcome back to tonight's NBC News Republican presidential debate. Once again, here's Salem Radio's Hugh Hewitt. Thank you, Lester. When NBC News talks to voters, when I talk to voters every day, they all say that the border is a top issue. It can mean a lot of different things. It can mean 2 million people who crossed illegally last year. It can mean more than 150 arrests of people on the terror watch list. It can mean the burden on states from having migrants move into their states. Finally, the they're asking border. a question about But I want to talk about opioids specifically and fentanyl. And I'll start with you. There Senator we go. Scott. Finally. Tens of thousands Why of Americans' families have suffered a death to fentanyl. Young people sometimes die taking one pill. What can you do as commander-in-chief on the first day to stop fentanyl and the waterfall of it into this country? Well, number one, we should close our southern border. For $10 billion, we could close our southern border. For an additional $5 billion, we could use the currently available military technology to surveil our southern border to stop fentanyl from crossing our border. I've already led on legislation that has sanctioned, would sanction the Mexican cartels. If you remember the path, the precursors come from China then they are manufactured in Mexican labs, and then the Mexican cartels bring them across our border. By sanctioning their accounts and eliminating their cash, we starve them of what they need, number one. Closing our southern border makes it nearly impossible to get in. The military-grade technology is a backup, making sure that we not only stop 70,000 deaths in the last 12 months because of fentanyl, it also allows us to deal with the human trafficking travesty that is entering in our country in the same path. If we are going to deal effectively with 100,000 overdose deaths in our country and the 70,000 that is directly linked to fentanyl, we have to deal with our ports of entry and deal with our southern border. If we do that effectively, we have started reducing the challenge from the outside, and then we have to deal with the challenge on the inside, which seems to be connected to a mental health crisis that is spreading you, throughout our nation. Governor Christie, uh, Senator Scott just mentioned ports of entry. 90% of the fentanyl that is seized in the United States is seized at ports of entry. We don't know what's coming in across the open southern border. You've been a United States attorney. You've taken on cartels. Can it really be done quickly? What would you do as president? It can be done quickly in, in, in two ways, Hugh, on fentanyl. Um, the first way is exactly as, as you suggest that ports of entry. Um, we have to beef up what our law enforcement has in terms of technology. I would invest in that as president. Um, we need to make sure that law enforcement has every tool at its disposal to do it. Secondly, on day one, I would sign an executive order that would send the National Guard to partner with Customs and Border Patrol, both at ports of entry and at the open ports of our border. Customs and Border Patrol agents are overwhelmed. There's 200,000 encounters a month over the last 11 months. We simply do not have the man and woman power at the border to be able to deal with it. And so dealing with both law enforcement, and, and you're right, we have done this, we can do this. But we got man and woman power. Nothing against women working at the southern border, but why not just manpower as it has always, literally always been?
it includes it automatically by proxy. It all that's just mankind. That's it includes it. Well, I guess that is the price you have to pay for being woke. Well, we got to give them the tools to do it, and technology is one of the biggest tools that we don't have enough of at the ports of entry. Now, we also need to lower demand, Hugh, in this country. And the way to lower demand is to start treating people again. You know, we started to do this before COVID, and we haven't done enough of it. And for every family out there tonight who has lost a loved one to fentanyl or to any other type of opioid overdose, what you know is all you want is a chance for them to win their lives back. When I'm president of the United States, we're going to call this what it is. It is a disease, like heart disease, diabetes, or any other disease like cancer that can be treated, should be treated. We not only have to stop supply, but we have to lower demand and save lives. Governor. Governor DeSantis, you have talked about using United States Special Forces to attack the cartels where they manufacture the chemicals that come from China. How often? How many? What, it, what does that look like? Well, first, I uh, was speaking to a dad who uh, lost a son to fentanyl overdose. Son wasn't a drug addict. He had taken some pill that happened to be laced with fentanyl, and it was a fatal overdose. And when he told me, obviously, the pain of losing a child is as bad as it gets. But he said, what was salt in the wounds is that these elites in D.C. don't give a damn about what's going on in this country. They don't care that we have tens of thousands of opioid deaths that the fentanyl's pouring in. They are not taking the type of action we need to. We're declaring it a national emergency on day one. I'm sending U.S. military to the border. I'm going to stop the invasion cold. I am going to deport people who came illegally. And I'm even going to build the border wall and have Mexico pay for it, like Donald Trump promised. How are you going to do it? Yeah, Mexico's not going to fork over money. We're going to impose fees on the remittances that foreign there we workers go. send to foreign countries. We're going to raise billions go. of dollars to yes. build the wall. But we are going to designate the cartels to be foreign terrorists. And or- Donald Trump could have done that. He could have done that, but he didn't. So this is something that you all have to understand. Donald Trump could have done that, but he didn't. Organizations or something similar to that. And we're going to authorize the use of deadly force. We're going to have maritime operations to interdict precursor chemicals going into Mexico. But I'll tell you this, if someone in the drug cartels is sneaking fentanyl across the border when I'm present, that's going to be the last thing they do. We're going to shoot them stone cold dead. That is very good. Yes, this is the type of rhetoric we need to see. This kind of efficiency. This is very important. Ambassador Haley. If, Ambassador Haley, if the United States uses special forces in Mexico without prior notice to the Mexican allies to our south, what would your colleagues at the United Nations think about that? I don't care what my colleagues at the United Nations think. What I'll tell you is, first of all, you have to go to the source. We have lost more Americans in the Vietnam, Afghan, Afghanistan, and Iraq wars combined. We lost 75,000 Americans last year. Go to the source. It is the reason why we'll continue to say we will end all normal trade relations with China until they stop murdering Americans. You watch how quick that flow stops. The second thing is we'll send special operations in to take out the cartels. We need to go to where they're distributing it, where the supply centers are, and take them out. We'll put 25,000 more Border Patrol and ICE agents on the ground and let them do their job. We will def- If this were 2016 none of this she wouldn't be saying any of this if this were 2016 but thanks to ann coulter's book now this kind of rhetoric is now acceptable you see how we're moving we're now moving the overton window this is progress just remember this kind of talk would not be prohibited in 2016 defund sanctuary cities we will go back to the i do not believe that she would actually do it but i'm just pointing out that she's now taking a tougher stance only because of ann coulter's book donald trump getting elected and pushing this kind of rhetoric and now we see it even within the neocons that they sound pretty good i don't believe them but at the very least they are pandering to the crowd 
made a Mexico policy so that everybody stays in Mexico and they never get here in the first place. And instead of catch and deport, we'll go to catch and release. I'm sorry, instead of catch and release, we'll go to catch and deport. That is the way we'll deal with the border. Those are the things that we have to do going forward. But I do agree with Chris. One of the first things that we have to do is really focus on mental health and addiction centers. It is something that is needed in our country terribly because we don't deal with mental health and someone who doesn't get care for mental health falls into addiction and we owe it to them to treat it like the cancer that it is. Mr. Ramaswamy, special forces in Mexico shoot them stone cold dead at the border. One thing I just want to say and how we're talking about this issue is, you know, like Ron, I've actually met many parents across this country who have lost their kids to laced pharmaceuticals that have fentanyl in them. That's the right. only thing I would ask, Ron, I think you'd be on the same page with me on this. Let's not even call that an overdose. Right. That's not an overdose. That is poisoning. If you put that fentanyl in a Big Mac, we would not call that an overdose. You'd call it what it is. It's closer to bioterrorism. And I say that because as it really- It is considered, by the way, it is considered a weapon of mass destruction, just for the record. It is considered, so he's pretty much on the mark here. Uniquely relates to this crisis that does warrant more aggressive means to deal with it. So there's a new presidential election in Mexico in 2024. People may not be aware of that. It's going to be someone other than Obrador, who has been a disaster in Mexico. I think he's even mentioned me obliquely in speeches to say that somebody who would do this shouldn't get anywhere near the White House. Well, Amlo, get out of the way. There's going to be someone else in charge. I hope that build a good relationship with that next president of Mexico. We'll use our own military to seal our own southern border. What we need to do is stop using our military to protect somebody else's border halfway around the world when we're short right here at home. Get serious about protecting this border. And then the other thing that hasn't been discussed is the northern border. I'm the only candidate on the stage, as far as I'm aware, who has actually visited the northern border. There was enough fentanyl that was captured just on the northern border last year to kill three million Americans. So we got to just skate to where the puck is going, not just where the puck is. Don't just build the wall, build both walls. Can't just complete the wall, use the military to seal the Swiss cheese for the tunnels that they're actually building underneath that wall. Thank you, That's Mr. Ramos. Practical and actually get this job done. Thank you. Kristen. Thank you, Hugh. That was very well delivered. Love it. Good job. Let's talk now about last night's election results. Abortion rights supporters saw victories in Ohio and Virginia following earlier wins in states like Kansas and Kentucky. Governor DeSantis, first to you, how do you see the path forward for Republicans on this issue? Well, I stand for a culture of life, and uh, I understand that it's important that everyone gets a shot. I I'm reminded of a story about a, a young mother who was struggling in Jamaica about 40 years ago, 45 years ago. She was counseled to, to not have a baby because she was poor, baby wouldn't have opportunity, and she came close to have an abortion. But she decided to have the baby born poor in Jamaica. And the reason I know that story is because that baby girl ended up emigrating to the state of Florida, uh, becoming a lawyer and a judge, and I appointed her to the Florida Supreme Court in August of 2022. <laughs> We're better off when everybody counts. Uh, we're better off when we can promote a culture of life. At the same time, I understand that some of these states are doing it a little bit different. Texas is not going to do it the same as New Hampshire. Iowa's not necessarily going to do it the same uh, as Virginia. So you got to work from the bottom up. Uh, you got to do a better job on these referenda. I think of all the stuff that's happened to the pro-life cause, uh, they have been caught flat-footed on these referenda, and they have been losing the referenda. A lot of the people who are voting for the referenda are Republicans who would vote for a Republican candidate. So you got to understand how to do that. But let's just be clear. The Democrats have taken a position, they will not identify the point at which there should be any protection all the way up until birth. That is wrong, and we cannot stand for that. All right, Governor DeSantis, thank you. And that is very well said, very good, very well delivered. And let me just add that on messaging, the pro-life movement is terrible on messaging. Instead of calling it abortion bans, we should consider it, we should call it pro-life initiatives. Why are we putting a negative spin on it? It doesn't make any freaking sense. Call it pro-life initiatives or any other pseudonym you want to put up there. Okay, do that, but don't call it abortion ban. Now people feel like they're, you're taking away something from them. And it's the wrong way to go about this. So you got to control the language and you got to 
change people's minds via language. And if you don't do that, then you're going to continue to do what the you're going to let the pro-choicers, the so-called pro-choicers, pro-abortionists decide how the language is spoken. Well, they're going to win. So that is some other context I want to add on what needs to be done and how we win. Ambassador Haley, let me have you weigh in. Former President Trump has consistently blamed the abortion issue and how Republican candidates have talked about it for their electoral losses. How do you see the path forward? I've said it before. I think you have to be honest with the American people. This is a personal issue for every woman and every man. I am unapologetically pro-life, not because the Republican Party tells me to be, but because my husband Michael was adopted and I had trouble having both of my children. So I'm surrounded by blessings. Having said that, when you look post row, a wrong was made right. They took it out of the hands of unelected justices and they put it in the hands of the people. And now we're seeing states vote. And what I'll tell you is as much as I'm pro-life, I don't judge anyone for being pro-choice and I don't want them to judge me for being pro-life. So when we're looking at this- That is a terrible attitude. What do you mean you don't judge anybody? Huh? Of course you gotta judge. You gotta make up your mind about somebody and how you are gonna debate that person. You have to make a judgment on that. Stupid. If there are some states that are going more on the pro-life side. I welcome that. There are some states that are going more on the pro-choice side. I wish that wasn't the case, but the people decided. But when it comes to the federal law, which is what's being debated here, be honest. It's going to take 60 Senate votes, a majority of the House, and a president to sign it. So no, we haven't had 60 Senate votes in over 100 years. We might have 45 pro-life senators. So no Republican president can ban abortions any more than Democrats. The correct answer to that is if such a bill ever makes its way to the Oval Office, I will sign it. Why would I sign it? Because that would mean it gets the support. How do I know that? Because it's so tough to get the evidence that the people want such a bill would be that it exists in the first place. Otherwise, such a bill would not even exist. That is the correct answer. So if, it, if such a bill would exist, I would sign it because there's no other, there's no way the senators and the Congress would vote for such a bill unless it's popular. That is the correct answer. I am pro-life. I am going to sign it. But I know it's not popular. But if it, such a bill up does make its way, that's a sign that it is popular. It's self-evident. It's so easy. This I don't know why people are having a tough time with this question. Democrat president can ban these state laws. So let's find consensus. Let's agree on what how we can ban late-term abortions. Let's make sure we encourage adoptions and good quality adoptions. Let's make sure we make contraception accessible. Let's make sure that none of these state laws put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty for getting an abortion. Let's focus on how to save as many babies as we can and support as many moms as we can and stop Thank the you, judgment. Ambassador. We don't need to divide America over this issue anymore. Thank you, Ambassador. <laughs> Senator Scott. Senator Scott, I'd like you to weigh in. Do you, how do you see the path forward? And what do you make of what Ambassador Haley just said? Do you see this as a consensus issue? Well, I'm 100% pro-life. I have a 100% pro-life voting record. I would certainly, as President of the United States, have a 15-week national limit. I would not allow states like California, Illinois, or New York to have abortion up until the day of birth. I certainly would not not allow for governors, former governor, uh, Democratic governor of Virginia, who talked about infanticide. We need a 15-week federal limit. Three out of four Americans agree with a 15-week limit. 
47 out of 50 countries in Europe agree with a 15-week limit. I would challenge both Nikki and Ron to join me at a 15-week limit. It is in our nation's best interest. And frankly, I think it's unethical and immoral to allow for abortions up until the day of birth. We have an opportunity in this nation to stop that reckless behavior from states like California, New York, and Illinois. I'd go a step further. In my parents' plan, we start by talking about funding, block granting resources to crisis pregnancy centers. We should support adoption. There are a number of ways that we can say to the expectant mother that we stand with you. We should not only be pro-life before the child is born, we should be pro-life after the child is born just as much. Senator Scott, thank you. Ambassador Haley, your name was invoked. Would you support a 15-week federal limit? I would support anything that would pass because that's what would save more babies and support more moms. But you have to be honest with the American people. And I appreciate that Tim keeps calling me out for this. But Tim, there was a bill last year. Lindsey Graham sponsored it. You didn't even co-sponsor the bill. And then when you first were interviewed on this, when you ran... That's such a BS question. That was a sabotage plan by Lindsey Graham not wanting to win and get Democrats riled up knowing that there is not stomach, there's not votes, there's nothing in it for the conservative movement or Republicans to vote on that. But it was about making sure Democrats get elected. It was a sabotage plan. And Nikki Haley acting as if it, it, it was not a sabotage plan is absolutely dishonest. And you wouldn't even say you were for 15 weeks. What I'm saying to the American people is let's see what we can agree on. Let's bring people together and decide what we can agree on. I will sign anything where we can get 60 Senate votes, but don't make the American people think that you're going to push something on them when we don't even have the votes in the Senate. It's Literally. important that we're honest about that. Let me go to Mr. Ramaswamy. Would you support a 15-week federal ban? And what is the path forward on this? I, I just wanted to say, I mean, I think Nikki Haley didn't vote being honest. And I just want to give credit to Tim Scott. He's honest about where he stood. And I think you should be honest, not making a political calculus, but to say if a bill is served up, would you sign it? Here's my view on this. Speaking as a man, they say men have trouble speaking on this issue. I don't think we need to be that way. It was my home state of Ohio. I'm upset about this yesterday that passed a constitutional amendment that now effectively codifies a right to abortion all the way up to the time of birth without parental consent. Why? It's back to that Republican culture of losing. The Republicans did not have an alternative amendment or vision on the table. I know Ohio. I was born, raised, and I lived there. It's representative of the country. If in the state of Ohio, we talked about access to contraception, adoption, and also here's the missing ingredient in this movement, sexual responsibility for men. We live in an era of reliable genetic paternity tests that are 100% reliable. So we can say men deserve more responsibility. So we can tell women we're all in this together. It's not men's rights versus women's rights. It's about human rights. And I've come back to that case that Clarence Thomas spoke of. A pregnant woman walking down the street. She's assaulted. The unborn child dies in that assault. You find me one person in this country who says that that criminal does not deserve liability for that death. You won't find one. That says we share the same instincts on this issue, but we require, I believe, a different generation of leadership thank you. to actually lead us forward and unite the country on this Thank you. honesty. Thank you, Very Mr. Well Ramaswamy. Spoken. Governor Christie, as you know, federal limits are important to a lot of Republicans. Where do you stand on this issue, and what is the path forward for Republicans? For 50 years, um, conservative lawyers have been arguing that the federal government should have absolutely nothing to do with this issue constitutionally because it's nowhere in the Constitution. And then Dobbs comes and we finally gain that victory, which was the creation of a constitutional right out of thin air that didn't exist. And now we have people running to say, let's short circuit the states from doing what they need to do and let's go right to some type of federal ban at a certain number of weeks. And people on the stage have been all over the place, 20 weeks, 15 weeks, 12, six. Look, it's the founders were really smart. And this is an issue that should be decided in each state. And I trust- The founders would be appalled. They would be appalled by this. Life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. First one is life, if you've noticed.
trust the people of this country, state by state, to make the call for themselves. Now, that's going to lead to a lot of divergence. In Oklahoma, you can't get an abortion unless the life of the mother is at risk. In my home state of New Jersey, it goes up to nine months that you get an abortion. I find that morally reprehensible. But that is what the people of our state have voted for. And we should not short-circuit that process until every state's people have the right to weigh in on it. But here's the bigger issue, Kirsten. The bigger issue is, and Tim began to touch on this, we're not pro-life for the whole life. To be pro-life for the whole life means that the life of a 16-year-old drug addict on the floor of the county lockup is precious and we should get treatment for her to restore her life. The 52-year-old who's drug addicted should make sure that any of his children who he's passed that addiction on to are treated well too. Pro-life's not just in the womb, Kirsten. It's for the whole life. All right, Governor, thank you. Candidates, thank you. We're going to take a final break. And when we come back, we'll hear from all of you with your closing statements. This is the NBC News Republican presidential debate. We'll be back right after this. Final stretch. Well, welcome back, everyone. With only uh, uh, two hours for a debate, we know there are other major issues that are important to Republican primary voters. I'll ask you each to please use your closing statement to focus on any topic you didn't have time to address and why you and not former President Trump would be the party's best choice to tackle these important issues. You each have a minute. Senator Scott, we'll start with you. One minute. There is a crisis that is growing in our nation, and that crisis is cultural and spiritual. We need a renewal, a great awakening. We should reject the less valueless, faithless, fatherless society. We should turn back to faith, patriotism, and individual responsibility. We should stop choosing victimhood and start choosing victory. We should stop kneeling in protest and start kneeling in prayer. There are basic truths that one. built this country. If you're able-bodied in America, you work. If you take out a loan, you pay it back. If you commit a violent crime, you go to jail. And if God made you a man, you play sports against men. I do not just want to... Audience, please. I do not just... I do not just... It's weird that we have to clap for that. Super weird that... Why? Why do we have to clap for that? So obvious. Want to win the battle against Joe Biden? I want us together to win the war. The war for our Christian conservative Senator values Scott. that changed my life. Senator Scott, thank you. Governor Christie, you have... That's why I'm asking you for your vote. Thank you for hosting tonight. Listen, it's a gift. And thank you also for the sandwiches and for the free snacks. The gift to be an American. And I'm running for president of the United States because I'm tired. I'm tired of seeing the division. I'm tired of seeing the anger. And I can see in the eyes of Americans their exhaustion. Their exhaustion from the petty personal politics. No, it's actually just you. That have taken over this country over the last number of years. I'm running for president to be a president of consequence to do the big things, to make sure that America's role in the world stays number one. That we You're not even disciplined enough not to look like that. President of consequence. Dude, first get yourself together and then we'll talk. Stand up for our friends and allies around the world and we stand up for what we believe in right here at home. And it's not to eliminate our differences. Our differences has always been our strength as a country, not our weakness. But you can't truly say you love America unless you're ready to open up your heart to every American. I'm going to open up my heart to every American as president, and I will make sure that I return honesty, integrity to the Oval Office. We deserve and should accept nothing less. Governor, thank you very much. Let's go to uh, Mr. Ramaswamy now for one minute. We've talked a lot about foreign wars tonight, but we're in the middle yep. of a war right here at home. Mm -hmm. It's a war not between black and white or Democrat and Republican. 
It's between those of us who believe in our founding ideals and love this country and a fringe minority who hates the United States of America. And I think it's going to take a commander in chief to lead us to victory in that war, who first of all knows that we're in a war. Second of all, can't be captured by the special interests along the way. But third is from the next generation, somebody with fresh legs to lead us to victory. I'll shut down the deep state. I'll declare economic independence from China. I'll keep us out of World War III and then revive national pride in this country. I also want to close with one message to the Democrat Party. End this farce that Joe Biden is going to be your nominee. We know he's not even the president of the United States. He's a puppet for the managerial class. So have the guts to step up and be honest about who you're actually going to put up so we can have an honest debate. Biden should step aside, end his candidacy now, so we can see whether it's Newsom or Michelle Obama or whoever else. Right, Just tell us the truth so we can have an honest debate. Ambassador Haley, you have one minute for your closing. Thank you. The world is on fire. We have a war in Europe. We've got a war in the Middle East. We've got China on the And with any luck, we'll have another war. March. It is very important that we know how to defend our freedoms and how to defeat terrorism and socialism. We have to know the difference between good and evil. We have to know the difference between right and wrong. We need to know that a strong America doesn't start wars. A strong America prevents wars. And the way we can focus on that is to make sure we go back to the soul of America and be strong and proud again. And we can't do that. We can't win. Nikki, I don't want you anywhere near the soul of America. In the fights of the 21st century with politicians from the 20th century. We have to move forward, and we can do this. I know we can do this. So join our movement. Go to NikkiHaley.com, and we will once again show what America that's strong and proud looks like. God bless. Ambassador, thank you. <laughs> Governor DeSantis, you're closing. You have one minute. We must reverse our country's decline, and that is going to require leadership. I will take the hits. I will take the arrows. I will take the barbs, because it's not about me. It's about you. It's not about the past. It's about your future. We are going to fight for you. I am going to win for you and your family, and I'm going to lead this country's revival. As a veteran of the Iraq War and in the Navy, I will always put service above self as president. As the father of three young kids, I'm going to ensure that this country is left to the next generation in better shape than we found it. And as the governor of Florida, I delivered on all my promises. And you can trust me to deliver for you as the president of the United States. I am asking for your vote. Uh, I'll be a nominee that will be able to win the election. I will be a leader you can be proud of. And as your president, I will not let you down. God bless you. Governor DeSantis, thank you. That is, that is going to conclude our debate. Uh, the next line says, if the audience can hold the applause, that didn't work out. But anyway, for just a few more seconds, I'll ask you to just hold the applause. On behalf of my fellow moderators, I want to thank the candidates for their time and for this spirited debate. Really good, deep conversation, and we appreciate you all being here. Thank you as well to our wonderful host here at the Adrian Arts. Mostly about war, but let's continue. Performing Arts Center. On behalf of the Republican National Committee and all of us at NBC News, good night, everyone from Miami. Man. Yokan shaking hands. Yeah. Really nice. That's very nice. Very nice. Hey, good evening. It was built. All right. So. Oh boy, that was a, that was a lot of fun. This is what you get. This is exactly what's going on right now, and. Who I'm sure some of you might be asking. Okay, so who do you think won? Right now, at the moment, uh, who I'm thinking who won, I would say it was 
Hmm. Hard to make up my mind between Ron DeSantis and Vivek. Vivek, actually. So I guess I would say, I would say, I think it was Vivek. Maybe Ron, but I think it was Vivek. But the others, no, they 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 are a complete joke. Anyway, so this is this was fun. I thank you very much for listening to this episode. I'm glad that we we did it. The two hours is over. Now we can go stretch our legs. So I thank you very much for listening to this episode. Please share this episode, and this will be also on YouTube and Rumble and so on. So I please subscribe, please like and share. And for the one, this is also on, this will be also on Spotify. So please leave five stars and you could also comment on Spotify, comment on the, on YouTube. And the most important thing you could, sh- you could do is share. So, so please share. And if you want to reach out to me, you could reach out to me at Aaron Politodoxy. That is on Twitter or at Aaron Friedman on Instagram or Politodoxy at gmail.com. That is my email address. And with that all said, thank you very much for listening. And remember, my fellow radicals, stay political.